How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing okay. Only okay? Yeah. I mean, I've got a big week coming up. So, you know, uh-huh. it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's a Sunday and you're a kid and you're like, yeah, I'd love to enjoy this day, but I know I go back to school tomorrow. Yeah. I am literally on a school schedule, so I have that same kind of feeling. <laughs> There's a commercial. I don't remember what it's for because it's probably not for anything. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe it's for one of the dumb casinos. Maybe. Ah. I don't know. Or you'd say that it's probably uh, Ozempec or something. Those are the commercials we get on Tubi for some reason. But um, it's like, uh, it's it's trying to tell you that the feeling is as good as this. And one of the things they say is uh, like waking up thinking that it's Friday and it's actually Saturday. And my thought was, I feel like that's backwards. Yeah. It's waking up thinking that it's Monday and it's actually Saturday. But I would almost rather it be Friday than Saturday because then I still have the weekend to look forward to. Whereas right. if I wake, think it's Friday and I wake up Saturday, it's like, oh, crap, my Friday's gone. <laughs> a million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. There's a proposal in front of one of the state legislatures. Man, I don't have the article in front of me and I don't remember which one it is. To have a four-day work week as opposed to a five-day work week. And I feel like initially that would be awesome. There was some sort of mathematics that were done that indicated that you can get five days worth of work done in four days if there are these efficiency changes and whatever. And it's a lot of management top-down kind of stuff. For a minute, that would be cool. But then I get the feeling it would be the exact same thing. It would be, oh, man, I've got this feeling on Monday. I've got to go back to work tomorrow. You know, like. Yeah. You would just have two days and then that feeling as opposed to one day and then that feeling. Yeah. I mean, if they did that, surely, surely they would give us Friday and and keep Monday, right? So nobody nobody wants a Monday off. We all want Friday off. Yeah. Again, so ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. And I, you know, am a chef here in Chicago and I run the all scratch food service for a uh, private school. And uh, before any of you have anything to say about it, it's the best fucking job in the world. <laughs> we do occasionally have weird ass days off. If you have kids, you know that some days it'll just be like professional development day for teachers. And you're like, oh, I didn't know I had to provide daycare for my children today. Right. I get those. Fridays are way better than Mondays. Give me a short week that ends earlier as opposed to a short week that starts later. Because if the week starts later, I have all of my Monday problems compounded into Tuesday anyway, right? But if you give me a normal run-up to a short week, oh man, I'm a happier dude on that Friday. That's for sure. Yeah. it's And it, I know like it, it shouldn't really make a difference because it's the same. You know, it's the same. So long as the days are together, you'd think it would be the same. Well, and time is a construct, yeah, that we're all sort of addicted to. But it still feels better, I guess, um, if you have less of a hill to climb and yeah. more of a hill to coast down <laughs> versus, you know, less to coast down and more to climb. I don't know. In the past, I think I would have said that I would want my four-day work week to be split up. I would want to have two days off, two days on, one day off, two days on, and do that. But I do not think that's the case anymore. And it's mainly because in my current role, I've been at my job for about 
seven and a half years now. There's a rhythm to it, right? So uh, not my current lead cook, but my previous lead cook had this thing, which he would just say, work harder in the beginning of the week and then coast into Friday, like you were just saying. And so, yeah, we do sort of the opposite of restaurant schedules where Monday, Tuesday, and part of Wednesday, those are our harder prep days because we're getting, you know, bulked up for the week. And then by Friday, we're coasting, right? So I don't think I would want midweek days off because it would be disruptive to like that sort of production flow in this current job. In a restaurant job, sort of doesn't matter if you have a static menu, whatever. Now, is how much of that is dictated, if anything, by when you get your deliveries? Um, are those predominantly beginning of the week, or uh, is it that that's not really necessarily? I mean, it just depends on where you are, what what that rhythm is. Yeah, I mean, for me in particular, it's my menu writing is dictated, unfortunately, by the schedule of my purveyors, right? So, produce I can get every day of the week. Although anybody out there in the industry right now, you can back me on this one. I used to get produce 6.15 every single morning, Monday through Friday. My produce guy was there, right? Now it's like 10. And it's a combination of my delivery company can't get drivers. However, the long haul trucker situation is also kind of dismal, which means that deliveries are getting to them later, which means that it's taking them longer to pack the trucks and trucks are leaving later. So it's this compounded issue that really comes down to just not having enough drivers, which is its own thing. That's got nothing to do with me. My broadliner only delivers on Mondays and Thursdays, which is something that is negotiated at a pay rate way higher than mine. So there's nothing I can do about that. So like <laughs> if I need something from them, I better menu it in such a way that I don't need it on a Monday or a Thursday. Because if I do, I'm boned. Like, I, I have no idea when those folks are going to arrive. Dairy, yeah. I can get any day of the week. Bakery, I can get any day of the week. Disposables, those fuckheads. I can order for the next day, any day of the week, but there's no guarantee they'll show up. Because of the political structure between my company, the national company that we order our disposables from and then the local houses they fulfill the orders for me and then the third party courier shippers that actually send the stuff to me that whole thing is a mess my disposables nobody's responsible for anything there's no accountability at all and i'm the one who gets boned twice a month it's delightful <laughs> would that sort of relationship be tenable at all if you weren't in sort of the institutional area arena or uh, um like if the, if it was um because you're kind of you're locked into that. Yeah. Yeah. Um so if like but if you, it was a, a regular restaurant on the corner or whatever, that kind of relationship you couldn't I mean you couldn't sustain that, right? It'd have to be like you guys are done. We can't we got to get some consistency or Yeah. The second time that my disposable purveyor didn't show up on the day that I ordered my stuff to be delivered, they would have been gone if I was an independently operated shop. Uh, it's just how it is. Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you're out there in the industry, you can back me up on this. My company has national arrangements with large sort of umbrella corporations that then contract out to local supply houses. And that's fine, and that works out for the company in general. And like I've said in the past, this is the best job I've ever had. I will have no bad things to say about my company. However, this is not really my company. My company has contracted out to this much larger organization and then again there's no accountability so company a that's actually contracted to my company i order directly from a 
and there's a drop down screen to pick a day to deliver right we were closed this past monday i chose tuesday these motherfuckers still trying to deliver on monday and i got in trouble with security at the building because there were supposed to be no deliveries so i order with company a they send that order to company b which is local Company B fulfills as much as they can because A and B don't really talk very well, I guess. And then B sends it out with company C, a courier, anyway. So if I get mad about anything, if it's delivery or if it's customer service or if it's um, quality of product, availability of product, any of that, they all blame each other and nothing ever gets changed. If I was in an individual restaurant, if I was self-op, I would have just switched companies. I would have been like, listen up, you cannot talk to each other. You have terrible communication. I never know. It's a crapshoot. I never know what I'm going to get or when I'm going to get it. You can all fuck off. I'm going to go with, I'm, I'm in Chicago. I've got a guy. I'm going to go with my guy, yeah. but that's not how my company is set up. And I get that. And I, I, I do what I can with it. And it's not been such an issue that I've had to, well, okay. That's a lie. I was about to say, I haven't had to roll it up the ladder, but I have had to a couple of times. The problem is the ladder only goes so high and this most recent time, like I actually got in significant trouble with my client about it because we were not supposed to get any deliveries to the building on that Monday. And the head of security called me on my cell phone angry and I told him I would handle it. And I had to go over my purchaser's head because what she was doing is what she always does and it was not working. And that still hasn't been resolved. It's been over a week. Uh, it's been two weeks now. Um, of the... Uh, the other thing I was going to say is that it seems that the only reason that this is even tenable where you are is because it's disposables. Right, right. If this was, especially if this was food, it would be a whole different deal. If my milk delivery came in on a day we were closed, yeah. that would be a huge deal for me. Yeah. Um. Interesting. So that that was the most recent one that that was uh um the most uh messed up yeah that tried to come in on a monday so that's like you said still unresolved so the fallout is yet to be determined well i have a case of dome coffee cup lids that i received like four years ago that this company has yet to pick up because the courier service has no mechanism for returning anything so when they deliver stuff they i cannot refuse anything that's on the delivery and then to be able to schedule a pickup is at the whim of my rep also i've been with this company for seven years i've had probably 11 reps with this company because we're a small account we get treated like a small account we get passed around and so i'm still sitting on this case at whatever it's like 26 bucks or something but i'm never going to use it because we don't have a coffee service and there's just no good way to return something that's wrong so again if this was food i would not be allowing this to happen i would i don't even know what i would do there's got to be some mechanism in my company to just be like this vendor is not helping me out but because it's disposables i'm kind of told not to worry about it right i right. want to put a fedex shipping label on it send it to home office and be like hey purchasing these are yours now um who's the courier service it changes it depends on the size of the order there's a couple of different ones because when i worked for blue streak and i don't even know as if they exist up there anymore they were trying to claw some market share and because of where they were on the totem pole which was the bottom at the time um is that <laughs> can we still use that i don't know <laughs> uh uh where they were in the pecking order um which was the bottom uh they they would take anything and what we got was everything that uh um if another courier company like well, this is too far out of the way we're not going to take this or whatever it would roll down to us yeah. which is why sometimes i would be in lyle 
and then Zion and downtown <laughs> Chicago the same day. <clears throat> right. Because, you know, we just were like, take anything because they were trying to get market share. And we were, I mean, I was, uh, I don't know what the term is. Third party is what I would say if it was theme park where it was like, well, I was contracted. I wasn't, so I didn't, I was contracted by Blue Streak and then Blue Streak was just kind of grabbing whatever they could. So they weren't necessarily really even hired by whatever company it was that I was supposed to deliver this thing for. But people could still be like, I ain't taking that. Yeah. And then, you know, it becomes my fault. I mean, my issue is the courier. But there's all there was a way for me to be like, okay, this was uh, um, denied or whatever. Right. Uh, as the courier, the the only kind of issue there would be that if that didn't get resolved in the system another way, um, it would never came back to me in terms of hey, we didn't get our money back or whatever because they didn't deal with me in that regard. Sure. So they would figure that out. Some, but sometimes it like it would be on my van for a month, and then I'd be like, well, I guess this is mine now. Well, right. So I only learned about the no return policy in my first year when something came to me that was wrong. And I told the guy, I was like, this is not the right thing. And I showed him the, the it wasn't even an invoice. It was just a shipping label. I was like, this is not the right thing. So I'm not taking this. The company still charged me for it, even though he took it. And he I probably did the same thing you did. He just held on to it and eventually either threw it away or kept it. Right. And I was still charged for it. And I contested it to home office. And they home office told me this, that there's no mechanism there for returning stuff. And I said, cool. So when they bring me stuff that's wrong, I'm just fucked, huh? And home office was like, yeah. Great. So this is – it uh. still stands up to me as being the one time – like what it was was it was a mispick, right? So I ordered a very particular type of Ecolab dish soap that fits into a dispenser. And Ecolab does a thing where they're shapes. The dispensers all have different shapes, so you can't put the wrong one in the, in the wrong dispenser. There was a, a an upgrade to the dispensers, and the shape changed on the the soap. They sent me the old shape, and there was nothing like I, you can't cut them, right? It's a super yeah. super dense puck of stuff, and so I sent that thing back. I was still charged for it to the tune of like a hundred and seventy five dollars for this pack because they're fucking expensive as shit. And yeah, I never saw that money back, and I never saw a replace on the product or anything. They were just like, "Look, if you turned it away, that's on you." So okay, great. So yeah. All right. So at the end of the day, you can't turn stuff away because you don't have the um, you're stuck in the middle and you can't actually be the guy that's like, hey, give me my money back. Right. Well, that and I also know that it's never the courier's fault. Right. So it's not yeah. in my best interest to ever make it an issue with those guys. Although there right. is one guy who I got him banned from the place where I work because one of the things that we're supposed to do i think e and h logistics is one of our big like if i have a big order but if it's a smaller order we've seen vans we've seen smaller trucks and stuff this dude showed up in a battered red minivan that was clearly like his home vehicle was rude to the security guards did not have a hand truck and was just a general pain in the ass arrived when the kids were being released and joined the like uh parent pickup line to do his delivery instead of going to the gate and like again got me in trouble with security and i found out his name and i called my home office and i was like this is something i need you to handle immediately you need to get a hold of my disposables company and say this particular fella in this vehicle is not allowed to deliver for us anymore i don't ever want to see him again ever and uh he only ever came back one more time and i had told the head of security i was like you tell everybody if this guy shows up you turn him away i don't even care like that i'm not gonna have that again and they did. They turned him away, and the company called me, and they were like, "Yeah, you were you refused a delivery." And I said, "Yes," because I told I said that dude 
does not deliver here anymore. He was rude, he was disrespectful, he was unprepared, and he was in just like a beat-ass Ford Astro van. Like, <laughs> the fuck? And uh, I haven't seen him since, so I don't know what's going on with that. But I don't, I don't know. Like, he could have been a fucking Uber driver for all I know. Yeah. Like, that dude, no work shirt, no nothing. Like, if you wanted to infiltrate a place to do harm to children, that's how you would show up, right? Like, you would, you would be that guy. I do empathize with the van a little bit. My van, although full-sized, was a beat-up red Ford van. Um, yeah. And then one of my colleagues uh, drove a Lexus. <laughs> he <just> drove, <laughs> like his parents' old Lexus to do deliveries. He got so many tickets. I never got a ticket. Um, say what you want about Chicago, uh, and most of it would be true about getting tickets, but I could park that van almost anywhere and with the blinkers on, and it was never questioned whether or not it was a delivery <laughs> van. But the Lexus, on the other hand, got yeah. a few tickets for being parked in uh, interesting locations. I have gotten in this job some of the strangest deliveries I've ever seen in my life. And I'm used to, again, it's Chicago, I've got a guy. So I'm used to, back when I was at uh, Restaurant B, and I would call up my uh, U.S. Foods rep, and I would be like, Dave, dude, I am so sorry. I forgot to order. And it would be... I, he and I had a deal that if I forgot to order something heavy, I just wouldn't call him. So if it was oil or potatoes or flour or something like that, I wouldn't call him. I would figure something else out. But if it was like cheese or if it was, you know, salt or something like that, he would run it over in his car. So I've been that guy who's run a four-wheel cart out to the road to get a bunch <laughs> of stuff out of the back of somebody's vehicle. At this job, we had a purveyor who was – the purveyor was fine. And I, I ditched that purveyor for a minute, got a new one, came back to this one after they called me up and told me that they'd fired my rep. Because the rep was bad. The purveyor was fine, but the rep was bad. At one point, he forgot to send me tilapia on my order that I had placed via email. I had a written record of it. He confirmed it, and he just didn't do his job right. So he was like, I'm I'm sending some over right now. It was like morning of. It's like, I'm sending some over right now. I'll be there in 40 minutes. I was like, okay, cool. He put frozen tilapia in boxes in the back of an Uber and sent an Uber over to my school to deliver this stuff. Uber driver got there. The tilapia had started to thaw, and there was, like, tilapia juice in the trunk of his car, and he was yelling at me about who's going to pay to clean this up, and I said, I am not your client right now. You have all the information from my rep from this company. You go talk to him about it. And then he was like, get this stuff out of my car. And I was like, I'm also going to let Uber know that you're being really pretty rude to me about this, but... Again, you still need to blame that guy when you get in trouble with Uber. And I will take this out of your car. And I'm not sorry that it leaked all over your car. You got caught in the middle of this fucking fish shipment, dude. And it was one of those things where as I walked back into the building, I was like, did that shit really just happen right now? That was fucking <laughs> wild. Fish shipment, good band name. Um, yeah. I, was, I thought you were going to say that you refused the delivery. Um, it, so this this... Kayla and I've been watching. There's a there's a ship that's a, I mean a show that's Mighty Cruise Ships or something like that, which uh, is uh, fascinating on some levels. But one of the things I find extra fascinating is each time because they did a like a Viking River cruise and then they did like um, they just did uh, or were kind of in the middle of watching the Symphony of the Seas, which I don't know if it still is, but at one time was the largest cruise ship. Um, okay. And it's like, well, that just seems like an awful thing to want to be on to me. <laughs> but uh, they they are during the load in or whatever. And when they go to ports, they always stop by and be like, hey, these are all the provisions coming on board. Yeah. And and uh, that's mind boggling to me because, Ben, how do you they, they, I mean, they're out there. They're testing temps and stuff because yeah. 
it has to it has to be inspected and sometimes it has to go through like a custom sort of situation before it can get on board the ship but some of it is also frozen so they bring it into or they're testing it outside and then they're also taking temps um when they get it inside to make sure nothing is dropped below but if you have like a pallet of oysters yeah how you obviously you don't have to get dig down to the middle uh, and take the temp of whatever's in the middle of that because that's going to be the safest of them. Do you just do the top ring on the outside? What what's safe for that? <laughs> well, if yeah, if you're looking at something being held cold, you test around the outside because the, you're right, the interior is going to be colder. And so, if the exterior portion of that of that product is cool enough, then the inside's going to be fine. You know, unless it was just reverse packed like five minutes ago. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but it probably was not. It's I I have seen one. It was like a forty five minute YouTube video about all the food service on a cruise ship, and it yeah it was one of those where it was like you know what I love my job, I have no desire to do any of those people's jobs. Watching yeah. all of the like seven different kitchens and just the commissary director, that dude looked rough. Yeah, watching them bring in just pallet after pallet of cases of bananas in my head i was like those bananas are all gonna go bad in two days like you better serve all those fucking bananas right now yeah well that's the other thing yeah all the produce like just yeah. pallets what's the most of anything you've ever had to order when i was at restaurant b we were getting uh a thousand pounds two thousand pounds of potatoes a week is how much we were doing we were putting out a ton of fries a week and so we were getting in somewhere between 10 and 12 cases of potatoes twice to three times a week did you just have like the potato room that's yeah potatoes take up a lot of space they do yeah so we had a space i mean as per health code nationally and especially here in chicago you're supposed to store everything at least six inches above the ground because of you have to be able to clean under it in case there's flooding in your basement whatever uh we didn't have that kind of space so we had a triple sink and a fry cutter next to it, and the boxes of potatoes were just stacked up next to that. We should have put them on milk crates or something, but it was also a classic Chicago basement that was kind of a low ceiling, and so we would have run out of space in a hurry. But again, that place was a fucking nightmare, so, I mean, <laughs> take take that with a, a couple dozen grains of salt. Now, would you rather, I mean, would it have been easier, and I know based on what we've just said, the answer is probably... That's what the answer probably is. Wow, pants. <laughs> he was he was finishing my sentence. Um, but would it be in a place like that? We don't have the space. We need these potatoes. We need this thing that takes up a lot of space. Could you have been like, okay, we want half this delivery on Tuesday and the other half on Thursday or the other half on Friday? So we were only getting two deliveries a week. We were with U.S. Foods at that point, and I believe we were getting Monday and Thursday deliveries, just like I am with my broadliner right now. So we were doing that already, and it was still not enough space. What we, I mean, that place, this was 16 years ago, so now I know a fuck ton more than I did then. The place was run by amateurs, very lucky, moderately talented amateurs. But if I were to go back in time, it's that, oh, if I knew then what I know now kind of thing. That yeah. place, what it lacked was organization. That's what I brought to it, but at that point, I still, I mean, I wasn't even as good as I am now. Uh, that place could have been shockingly better set up. And the, the, all it was was organization. It was organization and planning. We were putting out fires constantly. And it was fires that the starting of those fires could easily have been prevented, right? Yeah. So 
at one point right before I left, they hired a company to build a brand new walk-in cooler in the basement in a space that was previously just like completely unused. It was just, cause it's not like there wasn't enough space. The space was not being used properly. And when that walk-in cooler went in, all of a sudden it solved two years worth of problems <laughs> in like the last couple of months before I left. And it was one of those things where it's like, I've been crying about not having enough cooler space all this time. And they didn't know I was getting ready to leave at that point, but they put this and I was like, now you're putting this fucking cooler in right when I'm getting ready to leave. Suddenly we could produce more fries and store them safely more quickly. And so it wasn't like we were cutting and blanching fries every day. We could have one person for six hours, just do that. And then we were good for three days. And it was just by getting that new cooler. So it was things like that. And so, yeah. um, I'm still shocked. And when I look back on it, I have no idea how it is that place didn't just crash and burn all the time. <laughs> but it was, it, and I wonder how many, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a, a very restaurant operation heavy episode. But I wonder how many places out there, as you folks who are listening, who are in the industry, are looking either back at your previous jobs or are looking at your current job, looking up at the management. I wonder how many of your day-to-day -day problems could be solved by taking a deep fucking breath. And organizing shit like uh, this never would have occurred to me before I took this job. But I also feel like I have the support from above and the support of my staff that I can actually take moments like this and go, okay, I have a problem that's consistent. Can I plan my way out of it for the next time it becomes a problem? And that has been a success model for me for the last like two years. But it took me a minute to get all of my other processes in place to where I don't need to worry about day-to-day -day shit so much. And I can go, okay, when this event that happens on the school calendar every year is a fucking running firefight every year, <laughs> how can I plan right now in October for this thing that happens in February so that at least my part of it fucking makes sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> how many of you out there, ladies and gentlemen, A, have the time, B, have the wherewithal, and th C, have the training? To be able to look at something and go, you know what? We have this same problem all the time. Maybe we can plan our way out of it. Maybe this isn't a problem that has to exist. Maybe this is a problem we're allowing to exist. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of times the problem has like a name tag. Because it's a fucking person. Jill. So, ladies and gentlemen, this again, this is going to be a very restaurant-heavy episode. I've asked Steve to do something for me, but if you want to be part of the, the conversation, if you feel like you have something to add to this, best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds wbr at gmail.com. We have an email today that we're going to be talking about, which sort of sparked my idea for this episode. My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall, where you can see all the fabulous shit that I do at home um, because I am so... Uh, I'm trying to figure out a way to make it not sound awful. I'm so... What I do... Oh, fucking chill out, pants. <laughs> what I do is so much a part of me that I can't stop doing it even when I'm not at work. So what I do is I go home and I cook after I've cooked all day, right? I know, it sounds awful, pants. I get it. <laughs> it's, it feels like a weird addiction. And maybe it is. Maybe I've substituted, because I quit drinking a little over 10 years ago. Maybe I've substituted... Uh, just constantly having my hands busy cooking for drinking. I don't know. But that's where you'll find all the pictures of that kind of shit. <laughs> Pants is having a day. So, we also have a Facebook page. If you just look up In the Weeds with Ben Randall, you can find our Facebook page. And then Steve also runs a website for us. In the Weeds WBR.com. Where you can find uh, more background on when we talk about... Uh, 
articles and stuff like that. But we we got a, a an email with a question, but the question's not really a question. The question is a statement, which I totally appreciate. And so I said to Steve, <laughs> why don't you come up with a couple of questions for me about restaurants and about hospitality and about food service that we can just chat about? Because one of the greatest things about the way we've got this podcast set up, Steve and I have been friends since 1996, which for some of you out there is probably before you were fucking born. <laughs> but I know a ton about food service and Steve knows a bit. Steve knows a ton about theater. I know a bit, right? So it's kind of nice to have that knowledge gap there so Steve can ask questions that I forget people don't know about because I've been doing this for so long. I've been cooking for 31 years now, which is a long, long ass time. So... That's what we're going to do today. So if you have any questions you or, or observations or things that just fucking bug you about food service and you want us to talk about them, happy to do it. Those are the best avenues to get that information to us. Cool. So let's save the uh, email that I got for like the middle of the episode. But why don't you hit me with a question unless you have anything else you want to talk about first. Uh, no, that's fine. Yeah. Um, okay. So you did ask for inside baseball and then that's kind of like asking me for a question about inside baseball. Cause I, you know, I've seen baseball, but I'm not like super into baseball. So yeah, like you said, I know, uh, uh, the fringes I've been on the fringes of the industry. So I, I know a little bit, but, um, some of these might have more traction than others, but this was the first one that came to me. Um, sure. and I did, I, I used Kayla to help with, uh, generating some of these as well. Okay. So, uh, when I worked at the restaurant for the summer, when I was, uh, back from college, my sister worked there with me and it was, uh, it's way different now. That's the restaurant still exists. Arnie's in Grand Rapids. But, um, we as wait staff were, um, responsible for plating uh, dessert. We didn't make anything like, and really like there was a pie I think that was put together by somebody in the kitchen, like ice creams that would they would put in a pie tin and then put whipped cream on top and then put in the freezer and cut and they cut and put in the freezer and then we just have to fish a slice out or whatever. Yeah. And then soft serve machine. So the question is in all this is what do you feel you could safely unload to wait staff? Um, Ooh. The, uh, or what would you be comfortable unloading to wait staff? Uh, Kayla said that that for her, at one point it was making the fake cocktail sauce, which is probably ketchup and mayonnaise. And horseradish, um, yeah. Um, something like that. And uh, my other thought was, ah, putting salsa into cups? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like what, what would you be like, there's no way you can mess this up? Or you'd be like, you know... Uh, even if it could be messed up, it's like, this is something you need to do because we have more important things to deal with. Like what's safe. So this is the perfect kind of question. Cause there's like 11 answers to this, depending on which <laughs> way you want to come at it. So let me start with the legality kind of stuff. So if you are a tipped employee and your restaurant you're working at claims the, the uh, tipped wage credit thing where they don't have to pay you the minimum, right? If you're a tipped employee, you are not supposed to do anything like that at all because the time that you spend doing that work if it is pulling a pre-plated salad out of a cooler if it is plating your own desserts if it's portioning out salsa into cups that is that time that you spend doing that legally you are supposed to be paid at least minimum wage so when you're doing roll-ups when you're doing side work that still counts as part of your tipped wage time but that's fine if you are 
in the process of serving, if you do a little bartending, if you're doing checkout, that's still part of your tipped sub-minimum wage time card. Boy, if you're in the kitchen, do it. Like, if you're marrying ketchup bottles together, you're supposed to be getting paid at least minimum wage. Nobody fucking does it. Nobody adheres to that because you would have to count. You would have to say, okay, plating this cheesecake where you take a, take a cheesecake out of a cooler, you scoop it onto a plate, you put a little chocolate sauce on there, you hit it with uh, whatever the garnish is, a little twill or something like that, and then you put that back into the cooler, that takes 45 seconds. So if you sell on your sales sheet 20 of those in a night, we can figure out how much time we're supposed to be spending we're supposed to be paying you, you know, minimum wage. Nobody is going to do that. No yeah. mom and pop restaurant is going to do all that fucking math. And so if you as a server don't know that you're supposed to be paid minimum wage for that, they win. That's the restaurant not paying you for the labor that you are giving them, right? So that's the first answer. The first answer is as a responsible restaurant owner, I shouldn't be having my servers do anything besides serve. Yeah. And, and, and work on the artifice of the service, right? So cleaning tables, doing roll-ups, doing side work, whatever, right? Now, the chef part of my brain that was trained to hate servers from a very young age <laughs> also doesn't trust servers to not fuck stuff up. So, like, anything where you have to take more than one ingredient and mix it together to then have a final product later, nope. So, I'm not having Kayla make cocktail sauce. I'm not having uh, – what else would that be? Like, even – I've worked in places where the bartenders didn't make their own mixes, where the kitchen was making the, um, like, Bloody Mary mix, things like that, right? Now, if it is portioning out ketchups, if it is, uh, like you said, portioning out cocktail sauce, salsa, getting together um, – butter putting butter pats into little ramekins that kind of thing yeah you can't fuck that up right honestly that sounds like a job for a robot but you can't fuck that up now to take that one step further i worked at a place in traverse city when i was a kid it was my second job it was an italian place one of the jobs that i had was to make these pre-plated salads it was the house salad on one of those clear glass cabbage leaf patterned looking fucking plates right you've seen everybody listening to this has seen that plate at some point <laughs> it was a an iceberg romaine salad with like i want to say shredded carrots cherry tomatoes and red onions right like classic house salad i had to make sheet trays and sheet trays and sheet trays of those that were stored in a cooler in the server area of the kitchen and they would take those out to take them to the table. So I would definitely let servers take a thing out of a cooler to go serve rather than having someone make a salad yeah. because the house salad, the house salad not only was an option on the menu, it came with a bunch of things, right? So if you ordered any of the pasta entrees, it came with this house salad. And then one of the trays up there also had ramekins of house-made dressing, which I would portion out as part of my duties as well. So grabbing a plate out of the cooler to take to a table, fine. I'll have servers do that. Any assembly, like if you're assembling a dessert, nope, not going to have you do that either. That's just too, I don't know if that servers wash their hands. I don't know if they know what the allergens are on that table. Like there's too many, uh, too many ways that can go wrong for me. Well, and um, I think you hit on something as well when you're talking about portioning out, because I was thinking you, you, you really don't. In a in the the full service arena, yeah. Um, and we touched on this kind of thing last week when we were or whenever when we were talking about how you know if you're a restaurant owner the server does not work for you they work for the table because you're not yeah. paying them the table is. 
So um, keeping that in mind, it's like you don't want to be like, okay, here are the done fries. Scoop your fries, put them on your plate because <laughs> you're going to go through so many more fries because yeah. they're going to think that one of the ways for their tips to increase is to put more fries. So instead of just this scoop, it's this scoop and a half or I'm going to scoop this up and balance a whole bunch on the top of the scoop as I yeah. put it on the um, put it on the plate. And or you're they're going to lose... eat them. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's too. a whole there's a whole brand of server. There's a whole echelon of servers that I believe subsist entirely on French fries, diet coke, and cigarettes. <laughs> That's their entire nutrition. I believe it. I yeah. I think I worked with some, even though I was only in in that job for a little bit. And it can be as simple as you've got a two ounce ramekin, and if I'm having a cook fill it up with salsa, we're not putting two ounces of salsa in there one and a half but if you're having a server fill it up somehow they're getting nine ounces of salsa in that fucking thing <laughs> a it's a mess b it costs me money so yeah, yeah i'm not i'm not having that well it's it on that level the subway thing has been kind of interesting because subway i don't know how they used to do things they just had the what do they call the little plastic bin or the the uh hotel pit now hotel pan is that the metal thing that slides into the cooler can be. I mean, there's a number of different sizes. What you're probably thinking of is a six pan, the one that's square on top. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, and they have plastic ones, right? Yes. Okay. So, Subway, if I recollect, way back when Subway was brand new and everyone was enamored with Subway, the meat was just in, like, maybe a long six pan or whatever in the in the top of the cooler. And they would pull it out and they'd put it on and they're like, this looks good, and hand it to you. And at some point, they went to meat pre-wrapped in the wax paper. Yep. Or whatever, which both sped things up and ensured that the appropriate amount, and by appropriate, I mean less than before, <laughs> um, the appropriate amount of meat or whatever ended up on your sandwich. And then they also had a prepackaged, like, if this is the Italian, all these meats are already together Yeah, um, put here. So um, it, it could speed things up. Um, and now they've moved to, they're going to, slicing a lot of the own meat, the, the meat in-house for for each sandwich and i talked to someone who works there i was like hey how's that going and they're like hey it's it's okay it just shreds the turkey yeah he's like it's way too thin for the turkey um i was like ah you need to go twice as thick and half as much and yeah. he's like ah they'll never go for it but uh so that's added a step to the process um there but initially i think the move to the wax paper stuff was because like look you guys are giving out too much meat and this is the only way we can control yeah. that because margins for Subway evidently are pretty slim. Well, yeah, portion control is a big deal. I'm going to say this because otherwise it's going to bother me. So the full pan that fits into that hot well or cold well, that's a hotel pan. All of the divisions are based on how many fit in there. So if it's the square top one, it's a sixth pan because six of them fit in there. Sixth, got it. So what you're talking about, the wider one, that's a third pan because three of those fit in there. It gets confusing because you can also have a ninth pan. It gets confusing because a sixth pan can also be six inches deep or four or two. So it's six is how many fit in there, one sixth of that hotel pan. But then you can have a deep six or a shallow six, you know, so it was going to bother me if I didn't explain that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew that's why I was asking because I was like, I yeah. know these have names that I don't know. There's also a half pan, but you can have a deep half. You can have a short half. You know, it's it. Yeah. So if yeah. someone ever yells at you, grab me a nine pan. It's the real it's the littlest narrow one. But those are almost always four inches deep finding a two inch nine pan is weird and you would never find a six inch because it would just fall over it'd be way too top heavy uh it's the i mean the same how much math did you have to learn or is it Tons. just because uh, like, everything the, there's all those but also is cake pans the same way right you got sheet yep. half sheet quarter sheet yep i mean everything's everything's by uh 
fractions. Well, and I was talking to my daughter yesterday because we were going to make brownies. And I was trying to figure out how many brownies we were going to get out of these mini loaf pans that I have, keeping in mind that the recipe makes a half sheet tray. And she goes, what's a half sheet tray? And I was like, oh, well, the, the cookie trays we have. She goes, the ones with the sides? And I said, yes. And she goes, half sheet tray. And I was like, all right, you learned something today. And she goes, is the full sheet tray two of those? And I said, yeah. And she goes, that's huge. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> that's why we don't have them because they wouldn't fit in our oven. So, you know. They'd fit in your oven, wouldn't they? I don't know. Those things are 24. Oh, I guess. They're 24 inches long. That's a, that's a long. I don't know if my oven's that big. Yeah. I hey, wonder. No, you know, it totally would because I can do two trays side by side in my oven at the same time. They totally would. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't fit in my oven, I don't think. No. Um, I Because I can... I can fit the one half sheet tray that I have. I only have one that's actually a full size half sheet. Yeah, <laughs> full, full size half sheet uh, in the oven, but I couldn't get two of those in there. Yeah, once you get into home use, there are a bunch of sort of what I would consider to be non-standard size. But what I want to get is a bunch of quarter trays because those do exist as well uh, for here at the house. Because I, now I'm spoiled. I have my oven, and then I have the little oven. The little oven is actually smaller than a regular size oven, and the half sheet trays don't fit in there. But I could fit quarter trays in there. So I'm going to get some of those at some point. Oh, nice. Yes. If I was woefully dishonest i would order them for the school and then take them home because we would never use quarter trays but i'm not going to do that because <laughs> i would get caught um okay so uh flashing back a little bit to the uh servers that are eating the fries yeah or that exist solely on diet coke fries and uh cigarettes and they they might be great people so this might not necessarily <laughs> apply to them but here's here was the next question on my list it's it's a two-parter or two uh Two sides. What are the signs, and I'll keep it to the one at first. What are the signs on the ticket that the customer is an ass? So, depending on the system that they use to ring stuff in, servers can leave you notes. They can do open food and leave a note. They just have to be really careful because sometimes that shit will show up on the bill. So, if the server rings something in and they're like, this guy's a piece of shit, it might show up as, this guy's a piece of shit, zero, whatever, on the bill that the <laughs> customer gets. So, they have to be careful. If... If there are modifications on an item that don't have anything to do with allergies, right, or they clearly show that the customer doesn't know what they're talking about, that's a pretty good indication. The problem is, is that, sorry, servers, it still does come back to you, right? So if, like, uh, you get a seat one gets a salad that you know has croutons on it and I know has croutons on it, and, I mean, you being the server. But then they get their bun. They want the gluten-free bun. That means one of two things. Either the server's not paying attention and didn't warn them that the salad's got croutons on it. Or the customer doesn't really know what gluten-free means and they're going to be a pain in the ass. So that's like, that's one of those things right there. <laughs> if there's more than two mods on an item, especially if, like, again, let's keep thinking about burger restaurants. If there's more than two mods on an item... That's a burger. And you also have like a build your own burger on the menu, then that person's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Because if you have to take a thing that's been constructed by a professional who's been trained and you want to change it more than just like, actually, I don't want, I don't like raw red onion and I would like my burger medium rare. If you have to modify it more than that, go back to the build your own and make your own fucking burger, right? Which is fine. If you get 100 mods on a build your own, that's the idea. That's what that's for, right? But... 
if it is one person at the table doing that, then that's fine. If it's a, a four top and the ticket itself is like three feet long because everybody's modding everything, you know that table's going to be fucking pain in the ass. Yeah. And it's not just for you. It's going to be for the busser. It's going to be for the bartender. It's going to be for everybody. I'll have the tilapia sub chicken. He'll right. have the pasta sub rice. And <laughs> Well, I mean, there you go. Vegan is a red flag. If somebody orders the salmon vegan, then you're like, okay, whoa. You are in the wrong, possibly lifetime, but definitely the wrong restaurant. Because <laughs> I mean, we've had this conversation, but it's worth bringing it back up. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our 321st episode. I forgive you if you haven't listened to all of them. The single stupidest question I have ever received in my <laughs> life at a food service operation was at CJ's, was at my last job. Someone came up to me and said, is the tilapia vegan? And I stared at her. And I said, I don't know what they fed the tilapia while it was alive, but no, it's a fish. She proceeded to, I could see it in her eyes. I could see that she knew she'd fucked up. She proceeded to argue with me that fish are not animals. And then <laughs> she ordered the tilapia and complained about it yeah well of course at that point uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i remembered that someone said that i forgot that they or, or yeah did not recall that they argued that the fish wa wasn't an animal yeah yeah <laughs> uh the other half of the question was uh the customers and ass versus over eager wait staff so I don't know that there's a good way to tell from a ticket that you've got overeager wait staff, but when you get a lot of audibles, that's when you know. When you get a server just pokes their head back in the kitchen and it's like, I need a side of whatever, and it's not going on the ticket, that's performatively the server pleasing the table without charging them for something, right? Or they just they just need one. Like, can I get a half a side of fries? Okay, so perfect example. I'm going to keep going back to the burger restaurant, mainly because for customer relations kind of stuff, we had so many servers through that place. Again, bad organization. Servers, the turnover in the front of the house was such that I stopped learning people's names after about eight months because it <laughs> yeah. didn't matter. I remember about six servers from that place, and then the rest of them are a fucking blur. There must have been a thousand, right? Had a server come back with a plate that had a half a burger on it this customer's taking this home she's going to put it into a box she's going to take it back to the table and they're going to take that half a burger home and she said i need more fries for this and i said why what was wrong with their fries she said nothing they loved them and i said cool ring it in you can get more fries remember hand cut fries we had five different uh styles of seasoning we had a truffle fry we had a garlic fry we had a uh, spicy fry we had an old bay fry right and she was like, no, no, they just want some more to take home. And I said, yeah, 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 cool. You put a ticket in and you'll get the food that you're going to charge them for. And she was like, come on, you don't just have a little bit of extra fries. And I said, go get the owner and see what uh, she thinks. Suddenly it wasn't an issue anymore. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. I'm not giving you free fries so that you can get a better tip out of this table. That's not how this works. If they want a thing, they pay for the thing. Right? Yeah. But in the server's mind, and I understand this now because, again, this was 17 years ago. 15 years ago, I would be a little bit more uh, accepting of something like that, knowing how tenuous the relationship is between a server and a table and how much money is involved in that relationship, right? And what do fries cost me? Fucking nothing. But I was angry, and I was uh, drinking a lot at that point. I had a lot of unresolved issues, and don't come at me in the middle of, of service and be like, yeah, I need you to do a special thing for me. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. But again, that was you know 15 years ago. 
Well, also, like, if someone, if they enjoyed the fries and they enjoyed the meal, they're taking it home, they liked it that much, is your tip really in jeopardy? Right. Like, that, well, they're probably going to give you a decent tip, right? So is yeah. this because instead of the $30 tip, you're hoping for a $40 tip? Because, it, right. you know. <laughs> well, now, let's say this was a regular and they wanted to just be nice to a regular. Lead with that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, this is so-and-so. Can we hook them up a little bit more fries on their way out? Fuck yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat. Why? I'm a nice guy, you know? <laughs> but if you just come at me and you're like, free fries right now, I'm like, fuck off, you know? that's There's also, ladies and gentlemen, sorry, I don't know if this is going to be one of the questions, Steve, or not. There is a huge, huge functional difference in how the kitchen is going to handle you depending on the first thing you say when you walk in the kitchen if you're a server. If you come in and you're like, so let's say the scenario is this. You forgot to ring a table in. The table is now staring at you. You have their order in your notebook and you did not put it in the computer, right? If you want the kitchen on your side, the first thing you do is you walk in and you're like, guys, I fucked up. I really need your help. I'm going to hand you a handwritten ticket. I'm going to go ring it in as fast as I can, I promise, but I fucked this up. They will bend the fuck over backwards. They will make that food happen so fast it'll be in the past, right? They will have made it happen five <laughs> minutes ago. If you just ring that shit in and write on the fly, they will ignore that shit. They will make it take an hour. <laughs> and then if you come in and you're like, where's my on-the-fly order? They'll be like, well, it's behind every other on-the-fly order, you fuckhead. And it's just that. It's just own up to your mistake, be cool, be humble. You know, because the other thing is, that's what's expected out of the kitchen. If we fuck up, we're supposed to apologize. We're like, I'm so sorry. I know this affects your tip. We fuck this thing up. It's going to take a minute. And the server needs to accept that too, right? I think that whether or not it ends up uh, getting done so quickly that it's in the past depends <laughs> on how much the person, uh, the server initially speaks to, wants to bone the server. There's an attractiveness quotient there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No question. Sorry. Um, That's just a human thing. Yeah. Hopefully not as much as there used to be in, you know, 1996. But, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, so, um, thinking in those terms then, because uh, when I worked at... I was terrified of the cooks when I worked at Arnie's. Um, sure. And I think if I met them today, I would still be terrified of them. <laughs> um, but w when is it appropriate slash necessary for wait staff to speak directly to, and I don't mean this in a, any sort of weird way, but it's like, it's the middle of service, you're busy. Yeah. When when do I need to interrupt that? When when is it appropriate? When would you want me to interrupt you with a request or to say something other than I'm so sorry I effed this up, guys. I'm putting this in right now. Forgive me. You know, um, shouting that into the clanging kitchen. Right. Um, so the what best, do you want to know? <laughs> the best places I've ever worked at have had an intermediary, right? So it's either worst case scenario, a front of the house person, best case scenario, the chef, the sous chef, the kitchen man manager is on the outside of the line, calling tickets, running the wheel, organizing stuff. That's the only person a server should talk to ever is the rule, right? If you're a server and you walk in the kitchen and there's somebody running the wheel, sous chef, kitchen manager, executive chef, uh, ideally not front of the house manager because they're just going to fuck it up. That's the person you talk to. You don't go to the fry guy. You don't go to the grill guy. You don't go to pantry or to the whatever, right? That's the ideal. It fucking never happens. Ever, ever, ever. <laughs> right? When I worked at the wine bar, our chef, Jason, would, like, 
Talk about somebody who was angry, right? That dude was so angry. And I loved him so much for it. Server would walk in the <laughs> kitchen and talk to anybody on the line, and he would yell out, you did not hear that, and turn to the server and go, what the fuck do you need? <laughs> like, it almost turned into a joke. But he was right. There's a there's a pinch point. There's like a, a funnel. All the information should go through the guy who's already, the, the person, sorry, the person who's already yelling all the information to the line. So the short answer to that is, that's the person you should go to, and as soon as you realize you fucked up, go to that person. Waiting does not help at all. That never will. Uh, if there is like an actual structural issue with the kitchen, that's not really the server's job to fix, right? So let's say a ticket got lost or something was like legitimately cooked wrong and was sent out to a table and, and the kitchen is either not going to handle it or is unable to. That's when you go to your front of the house manager. That is that person's job. We don't want to see that person because we know something's like for serious fucked up. But that's, that's what you should do. Servers should not be yelling at cooks kind of ever. And the opposite is also true. There should be people who are in a position of authority who are having those discussions in a proxy sense. Yeah. Now, um, it also never fucking happens that way. Yeah. And we, I'm, I'm assuming you mean yelling at as in terms of just to uh, be heard over the din. Because, I mean, if you're actually I, yelling at one of the cooks then you're putting your life on the line yeah or or in anger i mean so going back to restaurant b we had one server who i adore to this day right she's one of the six that i remember and we got to a point where chipotle ranch that we made in house we made the ranch you know we uh, seasoned it and spiced it and whatever was so popular with our french fries that we almost just added it to the cost of the fries and just had it on there but we never got around to it she would poke her head into the kitchen and yell out i need a side of chippy and then duck back out. And when she came back into the kitchen, there would be a little ramekin of Chipotle Ranch waiting for her. Why? Because we had that relationship with her personally. She was the one who would bring us shift drinks. She was always having a good time. She got along with us. But you have to build that structure, right? Like if you're a new person and you lean back in the kitchen and yell outside of Chippy, we're ignoring you. <laughs> if it was Laura... Fuck yeah, we've got your side of Chipotle Ranch. Did she ever charge for it? Nah, probably not. That's all right. <laughs> the yeah, the relationship is is definitely important, um, and not just in terms of what you're the the maybe uh, um, you know wanting to bone. That's not, not <laughs> aside right, from right. that. Even just you know interpersonally or or you know work relationship wise, um, you know those it, it does. You know, know your boundaries in terms of what you can get away with. Also, you know, know your boundaries, but know where where your limits are in terms of what you can get away with when yelling into the kitchen, for sure. Yeah, because, again, all the stuff that I just said, the ideal world stuff, leaves out the personal relationship part of it, which is extremely important. It's very distracting. It's kind of terrible. It shouldn't be there, but it is. And so you yeah. have to you have to operate in that that realm. For, ladies and gentlemen, this is a public service announcement more than anything else. If you are <laughs> if you are on Instagram, there's a guy named Drew Talbert that you should absolutely be following because he has a fictional restaurant called Bistro Hoodie where he does green screen. And he does all of these characters. And to date, every character I've seen him do, front of the house, back of the house, customers, managers, they are all note perfect. It is amazing. <laughs> this is a dude, I don't know if he was born behind the bar or what, but this dude has everything nailed perfectly. And uh, the little skits that he does and puts up on Instagram, well, I mean, Oscar worthy, all of them. It's amazing. <laughs> 
Nice. Okay. Do you do you have your mental list of places you've worked? Oh yeah, yeah. So let's go through them, Uh-oh. and uh, um, with this question, sure. Ignoring where you currently are, because I presume that th- this would not be an issue there. Okay. Okay. You're at work, and the first place in TC where um, I forget yeah. what we called it. Surprise inspection. What is the first thing that you either hide, clean, or run to to check to make sure it's okay? That place was such a dumpster fire. (laughs) I knew nothing about health inspections while I worked there. Also, I was underage, so the first thing that they would have hidden probably would have been me. If you you knowing what you know now were there, but it's still in the condition that it was then oh god <laughs> what what's the first thing that you would so i know for a fact that the hand sink that we had there was combination hand sink dish sink triple sink right for like wash rinse sanitize and that's where we thawed out all of the proteins right so like the whole chickens and stuff that we got <laughs> And so the first thing we would do is empty that of any chickens that were thawing and get those into the walk-in cooler <laughs> and then scrub it out and move the like bottle of hand soap and stack of paper towels away from it. Although I honestly don't know, looking back, again, this is 31 years ago, if there was a legitimate hand sink that was designated for that space. I don't know that. They were grandfathered in. When that place was built, people didn't have hands. Yeah, something like that. So, yeah, a short story. The first thing I would hide would be the underage employees, which is me. And then the second thing I would do is clean out that sink that is supposed to be used for washing and sanitizing dishes, but was generally used for thawing out whole chickens and or washing your hands. <laughs> okay, that's that one. What's the What was the next one? Uh, was the, it the next TC one? place? Or? Yeah, the next one was the fancier Italian place in TC. That was actually a really well-run joint. Uh, One thing I would say is that there were two walk-in coolers and one walk-in freezer. And if I remember correctly, this is nothing was labeled ever. So the first thing we would do would be go through with uh, painter's tape and label and date everything. Because I remember it was busy. We went through stuff so fast at that place that I can't remember labeling. Like, I learned about labeling after I was done working at that place. Because it was just so fast and we went through product so quickly and also i think it was it was very well run but if you're gonna miss anything it's gonna be detail shit like labeling so that. okay so if that's going on if if you like have your uh um stormtroopers or whatever that you send into the coolers to do this labeling uh with yeah. the the tape and the the markers what who what's the song and dance you're doing to keep them out of the coolers while that's going on because they aren't really concerned with front of house at all, right? So you can't just be like to your servers, hey, distract this guy for a bit. Um, no. I mean, I, you start them at the front. So the way that that place was laid out, a lot of places are. You start them at the front where the hotline and the server area was and then move them through the pizza kitchen and then into the coolers. Although, honestly, a lot of times you can't distract sanitarians. Like, they're going to go through a checklist and they're going to start where they're going to start. Maybe dry storage would have been a good spot to start them because the dry storage in that place was well put together. And it was, again, it was a lack of space. Like, it had to be organized because there was not a ton of space. Are there questions that you could pose them that you already know the answer to that you would hope could, might engage them a little bit? It could be like, well, I, I'm 
I've always wondered, why is it we have to keep everything off the floor six inches? Uh, you don't want to display that kind of ignorance. <laughs> you really don't. But one of the things that you do have to do when a sanitarian arrives, when a health inspector arrives, the first thing you have to do is provide a certain amount of information. So that's HACCP logs in some cases. That's your sanitation certification, like your manager license. That is uh, business license and... Uh, what was the other thing? There was one other thing. Oh, your uh, um, pest control logbook, right? So you can definitely, excuse me, you can definitely drag your feet a little bit getting that stuff out of the office because that health inspection doesn't start until they've already logged that information as part of the report. Like that's how they start the report is getting all that information in. Um, it sounds like, though, at the end of the day, you're still uh, Han Solo in the cell block um, shooting the microphone saying it was yeah. a boring conversation anyway and preparing yep. for the worst. <laughs> yeah, we haven't gotten a health inspection at the job yet this year, and I'm really hoping it doesn't happen this week. I have a uh, big, big fucking deal going on on Tuesday where my boss is going to be in town. Both of the owner owners of the company are going to be in town. And ladies and gentlemen, for any of you who have ever worked in a, a company where there's like stratified layers of management – you know as well as I knew before I took this job, when the DM's in town, somebody's ass is getting fired. That's not how my company operates. We see our district manager twice a month. It's always a very friendly visit. That's one of the things we guarantee to our clients is, yeah, management knows what's going on, and there's a reason for that. And the reason is not punitive. The reason is we just want to know what's going on. My owners, one of them has been to my location before. She was there right when I first started, so like seven and a half years ago. The other owner has never been to us before, but this we're just on the schedule for that because they're constantly going out to locations. So they're coming to us on Tuesday. It's going to be fine. Not real worried about it. We all do a great job. I'm fully staffed. Everybody's happy. Client is happy. Whatever. But it is a big deal. So I really hope I don't get health inspected while they're there just because that would be an added layer of nonsense yeah but it would be kind of cool to just turn to the owners and be like y'all want to handle this <laughs> well and the reason i said you know we'll leave the current place off off the list is a you know you're so f much further along yeah than you were at the beginning um b um i know that because we've talked about some inspections that you've gotten even at cjs and other things that are like um uh, um, it, it's more like anticipating the whim of whoever shows up. Yeah. Which has been mitigated a little bit now that everyone's moved to serve safe as the criteria, right? Yeah, Chicago in particular really streamlined their process, which has been great. Because it's dumb. It's dumb to get tested on shit where you're like, oh, so your thing is ceiling panels? Okay, yeah, I guess I'm getting inspected on ceiling panels today. Right. Um, which did happen. Known. Like, that's, that's a legit story yeah. that I had a lady <laughs> ding me for ceiling panel damage. And I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Um, that was the same right. lady who took me up to the third floor of the building and was dinging me for uh, non-operable uh, uh, water fountain. And I was like, all right, now I'm, now I'm pretty much done. I'm going back to the kitchen, and if you want to do more of this inspection down in the kitchen where I work, we can do that. Otherwise, you need to get a hold of the building manager. And at that point, she wrapped up her inspection real fast. <laughs> so fucking weird. <laughs> Some jobs uh, attract the weirdos, as yeah. we know. Um, so what was after the second TC place? Then it was Kalamazoo. So I was at the hotel in Kalamazoo. Um, anything there that stands out in your mind is, uh, we'd have to push that on a flight of stairs before they got to it. We kept a lot of stuff out. I remember that like when I worked on the fry station, the chicken wings were in a, cause you can get coolers that are drawers underneath the stations, right? The drawers underneath the fry station did not cool. They didn't work. But we would load them up with chicken wings at the very beginning of the shift and 
they just were there like all day because <laughs> you take them out of the out of the freezer and put them into the cooler overnight to thaw out and then they would go into the um drawer and they would just be there so those there was never a chance that those were at the proper temperature so the fry station broken cooler drawers that'd be step one the the raw wing drawer yeah. <laughs> i remember so to me i remember that so specifically because at one point i took the because we would we would switch out these six inch hotel pans which are six inches deep full hotel pans of the chicken wings and i i caught the edge of one one time and dumped a bunch of chicken juice like into my shoe and then i had to make a decision i'm like how comfortable do i feel having this chicken juice just like on my shoe inside and like on my foot or do i do something about this now and i took and i went over to the dish room took my sock off sprayed out the inside of my shoe dried my foot off with a side towel or whatever and then wore my shoe the rest of the day with no sock because i was like I don't want to get some sort of debilitating chicken juice foot infection or something. <laughs> yeah. But it was, I mean, that's not how chicken wings should be handled at all. Yeah. That's an, that's an interesting thing. That's a question I didn't think to ask, which would have been, say you fill your shoe with something, uh, some sort of liquid from the kitchen. Yeah. What do you, uh, what do you do? So it's good to know. You, you real, hose it out. A real protein rich, potentially salmonella bearing liquid on your foot. What do you do about that? <laughs> and again, I was 18. I'd been cooking for four years. I didn't fucking know. And I was working at a hotel. For me, I was like, well, everybody here must be a super professional. Not the case. <laughs> so just as you think about the other restaurants, we don't have to go through each one yeah. individually, but is there anything that stands out in terms of the other places that like, oh yeah, we'd have to throw a sheet over that or whatever? Well, after that was the next Italian place in Kalamazoo. That place, again, run very, very well. And I forget the name of the chef there. And I feel bad about that because that guy was really good to me. Uh, but that place was Shipshape. So it was part of a restaurant group. They had four or five restaurants. That place was was awesome. The next place after that was the French place in Kalamazoo. Again, part of that same group because I got transferred over there. That place was also great. I don't recall. I know we did. We would like grill chicken breasts but not finish cooking them. So we would mark them off and then put them on sheet trays and put them in the cooler which is not ideal and i i cannot guarantee you like i know we weren't keeping cooling logs so i don't know how long they were taking to cool down it was probably fine but then we would either put them in the oven or put them back on the grill to finish cooking them later it's just a a way to speed up cooking those things but that place was actually pretty darn good too there weren't like i always hold up that very first restaurant that i worked at as being the epitome of like you probably shouldn't have a hole underneath the dish machine where you can see the dirt of the ground underneath it right like an open hole that was like eight inches across so i hold that place up as being like the biggest disaster ever the french place was pretty good for that um after that i went to the private club on that island north of detroit again tim ran that place really well we had plenty of cooler space we had plenty of freezer space aside from the broaster which is just a scary fucking machine that i was <laughs> not um really the right person to be operating everything there was pretty darn good too when you were operating it did you become the broaster <laughs> see i would make that joke now i was too young <laughs> to make that joke then after that was culinary school and then the fancy hotel in houston of course that was ship shape we did this was very cool and i recommend this to anybody who's got a large enough organization the hotel i worked at in houston did internal health inspections so there was a roving team that was national that would go around and do surprise health inspections they weren't reported to the health department but it was a good way to train 
for health inspections. That place was fucking spotless. It was amazing, right? I went from there to a Creole place where we were making tasso ham by taking and curing the meat in these like plastic garbage cans on the floor of the cooler. That was the wrong way to do that in a in a in a very legal sense, right? <laughs> was it was it healthy and fine? Yes. Would should we have gotten like immediately shut down by the health department? Also, yes. Um, that was the place. Houston's tough for that, where like you need to get shit into a cooler immediately when you get a delivery. It's 145 degrees outside with the exact same amount of you know uh, humidity. Yeah. It's like it's like everything is being delivered through the top layer of a swamp all the time, and we didn't. There was a, a hallway from the back dock that if you turned one way it was a cooler, if you turned the other way it was a freezer, and we would have stuff piled on that floor for hours. That was the wrong way to do that. I, was a place like that going to get shut down? Fuck no. It was this ancient tent pole of a restaurant in Houston. After that, I went to the place in Traverse City where I worked for a very short amount of time. I didn't work there long enough to even know what they were doing wrong, but I'm sure they were. <laughs> They're one of those places that had the cooler outside. It was outside of the building itself, so they didn't have room inside. I don't trust those at all. Never have. They weird me out. The butcher, uh, the fish butcher, worked in that cooler. So he would go in and put like a cutting board on one of the racks and cut in there. That couldn't have been cool. After that was the fine dining place in TC. That place was fine because it was such a busy bar and grill that then the business they did at the bar and grill sort of supported the fine dining place where I worked that we had such an enormous crew. There was never really any issue there. I'm not lying, Pants. We had a huge crew. <laughs> probably the worst thing about that place is that there was a locked cage inside of the cooler that had all of the meat in it because it was very expensive and also had all the beer in it so we snuck a lot of beers that was probably not cool <laughs> where did i go after that that was down here to chicago when i was at the fancy wine bar jason and i kept that place tip top that was because we both went to Necky. We both knew what to do. We trusted each other. That place was was banging. We did have a low boy drawer cooler system go out. We had that shit fixed in like two days. We did not use it in between. After that was restaurant A. I don't even know where to start because that <laughs> place was a fucking nightmare. I Looking back on it now, that place was a nightmare. Like when I first started, my very first day, the fellow who was training me, who was a goddamn animal, and I hope I never see him out in the wild because I don't trust him to not be a violent human being, was making dough for bao. We had a, a wild mushroom bao steam bun thing. And he reached into the uh, uh, roboku to like stir the dough around a little bit, and he cut himself, and he bled into the dough. He reached in with the same hand, pulled the dough out that had the blood on it, and threw it away, and then went and got a Band-Aid and used the rest of that dough. Shit like that was commonplace. It was wow. wild. It was absolutely wild. They would do oven-dried tomatoes where they would cut a whole bunch of tomatoes in half, put them on racks, put them on sheet trays, put turn the oven on to 350, put them in there, turn it off, and leave them on over, leave it overnight, right? During the winter, it would get so cold, the temperature in that oven would come down too quickly. And we came in one day, and all the tomatoes had mold on them. So I threw them away, and then I got in trouble for throwing them away. And I was like, I saved one. It's got mold on it. And they were like, we could have done something about that. I'm like, no, you can't, right? So yeah. I don't even know. If that place was ever inspected, I was not there for it. But I'm shocked that they ever They went on to start anything. squirrel. Right. It was that sort of an operation. From there, I went to 
teaching cooking classes. That didn't really count. We never got inspected because it wasn't like a retail restaurant yeah. operation. I had one cooler with a drawer freezer, so that whatever. Although I did teach like kitchen safety classes out of there about changing your cutting board and washing your hands and all that kind of stuff. From there, I went to the fancy hotel here in Chicago, which was also fine. Again, that was part of that same group that did internal uh, health inspections. So we were pretty much constantly on our toes. That was also a place where the staff, all the wage staff was union and all the managers were not. And so the managers were not allowed to do any production. So they did a lot of clipboard walking around and they would do stuff like cooler inspections and such, which was cool to have people who just did that. After that, I went to, oh, Restaurant B. We talked about that already. Restaurant B, again, slightly less of a nightmare, right? Yeah. But still stuff <laughs> like coolers would go out. Uh, we were smoking our own brisket and uh, pork shoulder, and the pork shoulder temperature was definitely not high enough. The smoked chicken that we did, temperature was definitely not high enough. Uh, we had, I came in one day and a cooler had gone out and like, I've told this story before. I walked into the kitchen and the cool, the kitchen was too quiet and I was like, something's wrong. And it's the condenser on the one reaching cooler that had all the server stuff in it was out. And I opened the cooler door and all of our squeeze bottles of ketchup, house-made ketchup, because the owner wanted to make his own ketchup and it was fucking terrible. They had fermented overnight and they were all like bubbling out the tops. <laughs> when the owner got there, he tried to save those ketchups. And when he wasn't looking, I threw them away. Um, potatoes on the floor. The basement would flood with like, not water. I don't know what it was. It was something out of the Chicago sewer system that was like black and foamy. That would happen so that they should have gotten shut down for that. Although that was a landlord issue. That Yeah, that, I, I can't say enough health department bad things about that place. Whenever we talk about Chipotle storing ground beef over stuff like lettuce, I actually am picturing that new cooler they put in the basement because that is what the owner would do. He would store just meat <laughs> wherever he wanted to. And uh, again... There's a, I've, I've worked with a lot of people who never went to culinary school who were fine at what they do. Really, really excellent chefs and stuff. However, there is like a base of knowledge you get from going to culinary school, which I think is important. And one of those things is when your sous chef tells you, yo, you can't store raw meat over like lettuce. Don't yell at him. Take the L and switch that cooler up a little bit. That's not what that guy did. <laughs> After that was cj's and man we did what we could and it was the first time that i was like not so much a punching bag as i was like actually in charge of that stuff and we did a pretty darn good job with labeling and dating and temp logs and stuff like that and then at the job that i have now we do all of that but it's prescribed to us by the uh owners of the company by the the processes and procedures we have in place from the company itself and i have to document all that stuff and it's so much easier to have like those forms on my computer, I just print them out. We do all that stuff. It's it's delightful, and I don't know why everybody doesn't have it. Now, when you look back, I already know the answer for CJ's because I was there <laughs> for a little while. But um, <clears throat> what do you what would you say the percentage is for the places where there were any kind of issue, whatever the issue may have been? The percentage of how much of it was uh, operator error? Like uh, this is the management could do something about this, and this issue would be solved versus we're doing the best we can in the location that we have, which was converted into a restaurant or is just old. Like, uh, you know, I would throw a sheet over this sink because it's falling off the wall, but there's nothing I can do about it because there's nothing to anchor it to. And it's all the only thing, you know, whatever the case may be, like how much of it, what's what's the spread? 
Well, unfortunately, when it comes to health and safety, those are the same thing. So if you're doing the best you can with the situation you have, but you're still not keeping people safe, then you're still not keeping people safe, right? So it doesn't end up really working out as an excuse. Now, when I was a young cook, I thought that way, right? I thought like, look, I can't keep these chicken wings cold because this cooler's broken. And so I'm being yeah. told to just store them <laughs> in here. And so I was not wrong for doing the thing I was told to do. But the management of that hotel, they really should have fixed that fucking cooler, right? Yeah. And so, like, yes, this renovated house that we made into a restaurant has a hole under the dish machine that you can see the ground through. That shit should have been fixed, right? So there's – financially, there is definitely, like, a um, a reason, but there's no good excuse, especially if it's something as simple as this cooler is broken and I did not get it fixed. It's not I cannot get it fixed. It's I did not. Yeah. And so any of these places I've just talked about that have issues, they're all issues that should have been fixed. Is there anything that the, um, like, so with building code, things get grandfathered in. Yeah. I know health and safety is is a little different, but is there anything there that's like, this doesn't meet the standard of today, but is okay because it's grandfathered in? I'm thinking, like, when I think of CJs, I think about the dumbwaiter yeah. or or some things that are like, th- that are just, this is not ideal in any by any sense of the word, but it's what we have, and so we we work with it. And I, I don't, I was never afraid of anything coming out of that kitchen. Like, yeah. you were you were running a, a safe shop, um, but there were some things in there that, you know, that, didn't you have a giant Hobart that you, I don't know as you ever used it, but it's like, uh, it was there. We did. So at one point I just offhandedly mentioned to the head of maintenance, yeah, do you guys want to get rid of this Hobart? It's taking up a lot of space. And the guy goes, you don't use that? And I was like, no, it's, it doesn't work. And he goes, well, why doesn't it work? And I showed him, I was like, cause here's these wires at the end of this cord just sort of poking out. And he goes, oh, this is supposed to be hardwired under the wall. I wonder who took this apart. And he put it back together in like five minutes and it worked just fucking fine. <laughs> so it was one of those things. So as far as time and temperature stuff goes, there's no excuse. The health department is not yeah. going to hear any sort of a, well, you know, this cooler's really old and it doesn't run very well. The health department is going to be like, fucking get a new cooler, right? Where the health department will look into things that are grandfathered in is like some HVAC stuff, right? Some things where it's like, this is the ductwork we have. We cannot fix it, right? Some things like where... um hand sinks are in relation to where your kitchen is to where your staff like you're supposed to have a hand sink that's within a certain distance of where you're cooking sometimes it's just like no the hand sinks in that bathroom and there's nothing we can do about it And the health department can be kind of forgiving about stuff like that um cj's should have had a bathroom for the customers that was grandfathered in that they did not have a bathroom anywhere in that space that customers could access we just had the one in the basement that was just for us um Fire exits, things like that, don't show up on our kind of a uh, health inspection. They show up on a, a, a building inspection. Those also get grandfathered in, especially if it's a building that's like a historic monument or something like this. But really, everything in a kitchen is supposed to be able to come off the wall, move around, be fixable, all of that kind of stuff. Like, what really gets me is I wish, because I don't, we never got a health inspection the entire time I was at CJ's. That was four years. We never got a health inspection. And I was kind of hoping we were going to get one because I knew my shit was in line. And I really wanted to accidentally point out that grease trap in the dish room that would yes, overflow I, I was once, the... once or twice a month. Yes. Because that thing was a legitimate health hazard for slipping and falling, for uh, infection, for spreading disease, right? And they would have, the health department would have forced a shutdown and they would have forced the school to fix that. Would have yeah. been amazing. 
that I was thinking about that also. I was thinking about that, like, like do you just light a match, throw it in the dish room, and run? <laughs> um, we uh, health inspectors here to strike the match, throw it, and run. Uh, well, get out, when, everyone, get out. When we got the new dish machine, it was also supposed to be inspected by the health department because when you get a new piece of equipment like that, it's supposed to be inspected to make sure that like your air gap on the um, drain is appropriate and all that kind of stuff and the head of maintenance that fellow that piece of shit he did he might he was like oh yeah they never came to inspect this i'm like aren't you supposed to schedule that shit aren't you supposed to tell somebody that this is in he's like "Ah, i'm not gonna worry about it all right and that was another one of my opportunities to get rid of that fucking horrible horrible grease trap yeah um yet my other thought is now that the building is abandoned more or less yeah is is that i think about the pizza hut when i was in florida and working at Pizza Hut, you know, I just worked at the Delco. I'm sure I've said this before, but uh, and there yeah. was a little little fire in the bathroom fan of the dine-in Pizza Hut um, that was a few miles away, and uh, we went up there to pilfer because they're like corporate's just closing it. They're not yeah. gonna rebuild. It's not worth it for them, so they're just leaving it closed. But we're gonna go pilfer some pans and some stuff. Sure. And uh, we went in, and uh, my boss was like, "Whatever you do, do not open the cooler." Oh yeah. Be- because power had been out <laughs> since the fire. So um, it's like, don't open anything. We're here for utensils. <laughs> Grab them and run, basically, was a thing. And I'm thinking right now, that building with that grease trap, I'm like, what is growing in there? It's got to be like the blob or something just oozing out of the dish room about this point. Well, that and a grease trap, the way that that one was set up with the different levels of, of like filter in there, the longer you let that sit without running water through it, it's fermentable, like biological essentially waste right and so you're not wrong unless they rotted it out and vacuumed it out right when they closed it has been just bubbling so the building may explode right like that's a methane generating monster in there and that ladies and gentlemen for for context the lid on that thing was square and it was three feet across three feet square it was huge it's a fucking huge grease trap like three by two or something, right? Yeah. And it had to have been at least three feet deep. Yeah. It's massive. It's a massive, massive thing. Because you put you put your arm in one of the deep trash bags to reach in there once, and you were up to your shoulder. Yeah. Um, that was, which, without question, the second worst part of that job. The first worst part was dealing with that lady who ordered the vegan tilapia. Because she's somebody you know, and she was not the greatest customer we had. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Um, I, didn't your, not, uh, didn't the person that followed you actually have someone like make them hire a company to come in and clean that out every once in a while? I have no I, idea. I, I feel like that was a thing that, but that was the only thing that she listened to you on. Um, <laughs> yeah. Was, Hey, this is what's going on over there. If you don't get on them about doing something about this, you are going to have to go in there and, and do this every, however often. Yeah. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, I when I left that job, I had I'd been hired to renovate the food service completely update because the no fault of his own. The previous operator had been there for like 30 years or something and did his thing his way. So I was to come in. I was to change the look. I was to change the menu. I was to change the pricing, bring in some sustainability kind of initiatives and whatever. And we did that and we made a lot of our food from scratch and within about a year we were making money as opposed to losing money and it was fucking great i did everything that i was supposed to do when i left naively i left a binder of information for my successor who that 
institution had dragged their feet so long on hiring. I met her once and then was in sporadic contact with her afterward because she apparently did not read anything that I wrote. So I'm going to say this right now. If you leave a job and you think, I'm going to write down a whole bunch of stuff for the next person who comes in behind me so that they have a reference. Just don't fucking bother. Don't do it. Because it's not going to matter. You know how we are, chefs. You know. We're just going to come in and do our own shit anyway. The very first thing I said in this binder was just don't change anything for like the next six months. Get a feel for it. See how things are going. Then change everything to your heart's desire. And she changed shit like day one. And I was like, all right. I stopped answering her phone calls and texts after a while. when she was like, how do I do this? And we're like, bitch, it's in the binder. And you didn't read it. Clearly, you just threw it away. So whatever. Yeah. And you know that some things were changed where, uh, um, uh, I don't know if we've ever said names, um, uh, not the guy that opened the taco restaurant being like, we, we really need to do this. Yeah. And uh, yeah. um, just acquiescing immediately to, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, right. But, uh, yeah. Um, all right. Now, this seems like a decent place maybe for email. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Before so, I distract you too much. We... Got an, uh, an email from a fellow named Jim out in Iowa. And the email is, it, this is the perfect way to catch my attention. The email is entitled Midrare Plus dot dot dot. What the fuck? And I agree. <laughs> um, quote from this email. Something I've seen a lot of, parentheses, we do a ton of steaks, is customers ordering medium rare plus or medium plus, etc. What in God's name is the plus temp? Do customers expect cooks to grill their steaks within a perfect two and a half to five degrees of their liking? I would love to know what ass clown made this up so they can be skinned alive. Mid-rare plus has a name. It's medium. By the way, there's a funny clip on social media about this where the customer brings in paint samples for the server to give to the chef to match the steak color. So... <laughs> Uh, Jim, I got to be honest with you. I've worked at places that have done a lot of meat, including duck, which is real tricky when customers come at you with some mid-rare plus kind of shit. Uh, you know, burgers, um, steaks, lamb. Like, I've worked in all of these places. And you're absolutely right. Customers need to chill the fuck out, like 100%. So we have blue, which means seared really hard on the outside, but like legit raw, possibly cold on the inside. Rare, which is cooked more than that. Medium rare, cooked more than that. Medium, again, more than that. Midwell, nearly burned, well done burned. That's what we have. Any customer, going back to your question about a ticket being problematic, if a customer orders something mid-rare plus, red flag, right? So I would say two things are going on simultaneously. First off, customers have just gotten so fucking uppity, <laughs> right? Because going back to what we've said in the past, Steve, as they are holding the tip over the server's head like a hammer, customers have, have have internalized this notion of the customer is always right to the point where whatever nonsense they say has to be right. And if they're like, I want mid-rare plus, you made that shit up. It's fake, right? It's not a real thing. Yeah. So the customer is coming at the server with that. So that's the first problem. The second problem is if the server goes, oh, so medium and then sends it in as medium, great. If the server types in mid-rare plus, then you have a problem with the server. And so what I would recommend, and this is going to be hard, and maybe it ain't going to work, I don't know, you need to talk to the front of the house, management, and retrain the servers. Because you're setting yourself up for failure. You're being set up for failure. If a customer orders something as idiotic as mid-rare plus, 
they're not going to get what they want, no matter what, because it's made up. It's imaginary, right? They're ordering yes. a unicorn steak. They're not going to get what they want. The server is going, sure, we can do that. They're lying to the customer. Then they're giving an impossible task to the kitchen. The kitchen is going to fuck it up. It's not their fault because the customer doesn't know what they want. The customer is going to get something that they did not want because they used an imaginary term. And everybody is going to lose. So, the again, this is planning your way out of a consistent fire. If the servers are trained to say, when someone says mid-rare plus, go, okay, and ring it in as medium, problem solved. <laughs> right? And then the whole conversation goes away. Or if your servers are really good, say, well, you know what? We don't do half temps because that's ridiculous. So it's either going to be mid-rare or it's going to be medium. You tell me which one you want and we'll nail that and then relay that to the kitchen as well. But you're being set up to fail. And the customer is doing it. They may not know they're doing it on purpose, but what that customer wants is to be unhappy so that they can feel justified in feeling superior to everybody who works at the restaurant. Yeah. And it's it's dumb. It's absolutely dumb. This has to have originated with an influencer of some kind, don't you think? Uh, gu guaranteed, right? Because, again, this is something that, and Jim mentions this later on in his email, I really only saw this within the last decade. And for the last third of my career, I've seen people saying stuff like that. Uh, and it also is right up there with the rise of people going, oh, we're going to split this New York strip. I want mine medium. She wants hers midwell. And it's like, no, here's what you're going to get. Get fucked. <laughs> you're not splitting a steak and getting two different temps. Not going to happen. And yeah. any server that allows that to happen, sorry, you're a bad server. At least in that moment, you're a bad server. Because what you say is, <laughs> no, 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 no. If you split a steak, it's going to be the same temperature because they're going to cook it first and they're going to cut that shit in half and put it on two little baby plates for you, you little babies. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> how confident are you that you could be uh, – I imagine you're, it's reasonably so. Uh, so let me rephrase. Um, <laughs> the – how long you cook a piece of meat to get to a certain temperature is very much dependent on the piece of meat. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, the cut, but also um, a lot of other factors will determine that. Um, so even getting the exact rare, medium rare, or whatever, um, and it also depends on how long the server left it up in the window. Yep. Um, so so th that's a little bit of a roll of the dice whenever you you eat out so well th this is my take or or the way i feel um you need to be content with a little little over or a little under what you order because there are so many factors involved in getting it to exactly the right temperature that you shouldn't be expecting exactly the right temperature i mean yes and no like when i worked at the wine bar we had our grill guy's name was jorge and i never once saw a steak come back from that dude station we're talking flat iron which is tough to cook we had new york strip we had a ribeye we had again we had duck we had lamb chops at one point we had veal chops at one point that dude's temps were always perfect did we get steaks back yes was the customer wrong every time you know <laughs> so it's possible and the other thing so it's even more factors than you're thinking of too because it's what animal it is it's the cut it's where it is in the loin if it's a steak so like one end of a strip loin has a lot more connective tissue and you save those pieces for well done because they're going to be fucking tough anyway right it's not going to show well the grill has hotter and cooler spots on it so where you put it down uh, how old it is you know because the 
iron starts to leach out of, of red meat. The longer it sits, it can start to lose its color. So if you want something that's rare, you better cook something that's been butchered fairly recently. All of that. And I'm going to go right back to restaurant B. When I was there, we started getting chicken sandwiches back that were undercooked. It was roasted, shredded chicken. It was cooked the fuck out of. <laughs> Without telling us, the front of the house had installed red accent lighting in the dining room. Everything looked undercooked. Every single thing. We would get well-done burgers back. Why is this rare? And the, they, the servers would bring it into the kitchen and go, what the fuck, and take it right back out. Because once it hit the white lights in the kitchen, you could tell what temp it was. And I told the front of the house manager slash owner that, and she told me I was crazy. And I had to carry food out into the dining room and go, look, now this looks like it's undercooked, you fucking dummy. And then they took those lights out. Right. <laughs> so you can do everything right. And the front of the house manager, who never asks anybody any questions because she's kind of an arrogant piece of shit, puts red lights over the table so everything looks like it's underdone. So yeah, give me your medium rare plus with red lights on it. The fuck. Well, and I mean we've never we've talked about kitchen st- design in the past, but I don't know yeah. if we've talked about dining room design. Is that something that would have crossed your um, brain had that not happened? In all fairness, no. Right. So did she put lights up like that specifically to make it look like we were undercooking pulled chicken? No, she did not yeah. do that. However, when I told her that was what was happening, she really should have listened. Yeah. Uh, well. And yeah, because it's one of those things that when you say it, it's like, oh, yeah, but I, yeah. I don't know as I would have thought about it ahead of time either. So but that's also things like, OK, well, what what kind of lighting can you put in to make things look more appealing? Because you also don't want like a yellow light, right. probably or green. Well, the idea was they wanted to still have visibility out there when they dimmed the lights when it got dark outside. And I got that. And that's fine. But the red lights were not doing it. At least not for me. And also, like, how much restaurant design in the front of the house needs to cater to the kitchen, right? If it's a a, a food presentation and or safety thing like that, maybe it needs to. But for the most part, the front of the house doesn't need to worry about the back of the house as far as, like, decor and lighting and such. Backstage, we always use blue. Um, You know, you you gel a light with with some blue foil or, uh, you know, plastic or... uh, um, Gel. cellophane kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. or um you know some some you have it you know I, I wonder what that would do if that would if that would make things look overdone um if you did that um because then you could then you know the light's dimmer but you can still see with the blue but uh yeah. is red light like is it the red light district did they use red lights because i don't want you to see how pallid i am because of all the diseases i have so we're gonna use red lights so i look rosy and healthy i must be I, there was a study done years and years and years ago by the company target that if red is one of the first colors you see when you walk into a retail store you are likely to buy more stuff i don't know what it does to you psychologically but that's why the color palette in target has never changed it's all red and white somebody they did some study and target was like oh red cool we're just gonna do fucking red everywhere and they're not wrong. I go into Target, I buy more than I expect to buy every fucking time I'm in there. And I know they're doing it. <laughs> yeah, like, what, how do you, what do you put the dining room to make that happen? <laughs> I mean, hookers, I guess. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> a big Target dog with a <laughs> Target on its eye. Right. Um, so, yeah, Jim, I, I cannot solve your problem for you. I wish that I could. But again, this does feel like something that is such a consistent problem. And I'm glad that we did this episode the way we did. Because it's a callback. I feel like this can be planned your way out of, except this one in particular is going to take training. You're going to have to have whoever is in the front of the house managing those people 
explain to them and train them and hold them responsible for saying for pushing back to the customers and being like mid rare plus is imaginary either how about you get it mid rare and by the time you're done eating because of carryover cooking it'll be like closer to medium so you'll be in whatever unicorn ass uh space you want to be with your steak um I've been, I don't remember where, I'm sure it's a, probably one of the chains of some kind th- there where they have the illustration next to the meat or they have a, the, yeah. the photo. It's like, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's um, like, this is what we do. Look at this. Or do you feel like, yeah, that might be setting expectations improperly because not everything's going to look like this picture. I would say I'm a fan of setting expectations, right? So, like, that automatically cancels out that conversation with the server, which is like, oh, I I see what you do, but I want something else. And the server can be like, no, 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 you already said that you see what we do. That's what we do, right? So I like that. Um, And then you have to hold your kitchen staff responsible for nailing those. And, again, it can be done. I have worked with very talented grill guys. I've been a very talented grill guy. And... I mean, I can still hit my temps pretty well. Like, as all of you know who have listened for a while, whenever my wife and kids are out of town, I eat, like, six ribeyes. I can make those whatever temp I want every (laughs) single time. And, yeah, also, those of you who don't work in restaurants that listen to this, and, again, we're so happy to have you. Somebody in the kitchen who you would think if you pass them on the street, maybe you should give them a dollar because they're probably homeless, has poked your steak with their finger with no glove on, their hand is clean enough. You're not going to die to know what temp it is, like, seconds before it goes onto your plate. It's been poked by a human being. <laughs> so just be aware that that's, like, someone's fingerprint is still a little bit on your steak. It's fine. You're not going to get sick. Nothing's going to happen. That's how they know. That's how we know what the temperature is. Yeah. And, and they're risking burns and other uh, injuries to do so. Yeah. Haunted? Like a, I don't know. There was just like a big thump. <laughs> There's construction going on in my neighborhood of a number of things uh, that have held up. But we're supposed to get the, the road in front of my house uh, resurfaced. And uh, Alderman Garbage Fire told us like a month ago that it was going to happen. And it was going to take four to six weeks. And it hasn't even started yet. But I don't think it's his fault because they're finishing construction on a house down in the middle of the block and they had to do some water work and they had to tear up part of the street. And of course, because this is Chicago, they tore up part of the street and then they spent like two weeks resurfacing that part of the street, which is then when they do resurface it, just going to get fucking torn out anyway. Yeah. You know, that's the opposite of my experience with Chicago, which is where they would have resurfaced the entire street and then torn it up (laughs) um, in order to resurface that bit again. So uh, at least it's the right order. (laughs) Yeah. But so every so often, really large trucks will go down this road. They'll end up accidentally resurfacing it into just a gravel road soon enough anyway. (laughs) Because this is a residential street and we'll get these enormous fucking trucks going down the street. Like, all right. So I think it's that's what just happened. Resurfacing prep work. It's it's how yeah. you. Uh, <laughs> how are you doing on time? You want another uh, question? Yeah, we can do another one. I okay. I have nothing going on until I go become a cheese witch later on this afternoon. We could let's talk about that <laughs> real quick. Uh, but I do. I'm gonna need to eat something fairly soon here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I will have this to report on next week when Steve and I record, which is I'm going to a class this afternoon about tyromancy, which is telling the future through cheese. And I am so fucking excited for it. I am 
I am not going to mock this. I am not going with any sort of closed mind, right? I am going there to learn. I'm going there to eat cheese, but I'm going there to learn, and I cannot wait. Uh, do I believe I'm going to become a practitioner of dark cheese arts? Probably not, <laughs> but any information is good information, and I cannot wait. Yeah, But that's you, four hours from now. So That's Tyromancy, right? Yep. Yeah, because Tyromancy is play, uh, uh, figuring out the future based on what Tyra Banks says, which is yeah. less of an art. Yeah, more more of a uh, interpretive uh, science. <laughs> um, the okay, um, so moving on then. Sure. Uh, speaking of, I guess, kind of. Uh, you're working in one of the one of the restaurants. Celebrity shows up. The wait staff is fawning. Does the kitchen care? Depends on the celebrity. So well, that's when I. The second what? half of that oh. is who would the kitchen care about? So yeah. yeah. So I mean, I've told this story before, which is when I was at the fancy hotel in Houston, Texas. Our um, kitchen was on the eleventh floor of the hotel, and the garmage kitchen was enclosed completely and had condensers. It was kept cold in there so that we could do cold prep, and it was great. I was in there peeling shrimp one day, looking out these windows at the freight elevator, and the freight elevator is what when celebrities needed to come to banquets or. Uh, um, what you call it, uh, like to for, for weddings and stuff, right? They would come up the freight elevator instead of the public elevators in the front. So I'm standing there peeling shrimp, and the elevator doors open, and I noticed it. And the doors opened, and a steward got off of the elevator, and Lenny Kravitz was standing in the elevator wearing sunglasses because he's fucking Lenny Kravitz. And I looked, and I like cocked my head, and I pointed at him, and he pointed at himself, and the doors closed. And I was like, I just saw fucking Lenny Kravitz, <laughs> right? So <laughs> I mentioned that to the other cooks in the kitchen, and the pastry chef, uh, this is pre-cell phone. This is 2001. The pastry chef went on to the chef's computer and did some quick research and made a dessert for Lenny Kravitz that was then sent to his room later on that evening, which was made out of some reported it was his favorite food or whatever. So in some cases, yeah. Now, when I was still in Houston at the Creole restaurant, fucking B.B. King ordered a bunch of food for himself and for his band and all of this stuff to go. But we heard from the front of the house that he came to pick it up. Not like by himself, but like with, right. with some of it. Holy shit. We're all of us like up against the door <laughs> to the to the dining room to see him. He came back in the kitchen to talk to us. That oh, wow. was one of those moments where I was like, guess what, everybody in the dining room? Your food's going to be late. We're back here talking to fucking BB King. <laughs> so, I, if, I mean, it, it takes kind of a lot. I wonder if anyone whose food came out late, like if they were – um if it was excused or if they were more disappointed because if it was like uh, why is why is this late oh well bb king stopped by to talk to the kitchen staff and you're like oh okay that makes sense or if you're like but he didn't want to talk to me <laughs> <laughs> so like do you remember the song closing time yes what's that band called uh who who did that i don't know semisonic maybe because regardless this this actually plays well into the story that band came to Kalamazoo and ate at the bar and grill in the hotel where I was working. And we were all kind of like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like not impressed. These were guys who were celebrities sorted to themselves and they had one song and we were all just like, oh, that's that's those guys. OK, so I mean, <laughs> I suppose it all depends. Yeah. Well, well, OK, that... so let me let me put it to you this way. When I was at the wine bar in the northern suburbs of Chicago, this is when Ryan Reynolds and... um 
uh, what the fuck is her name? Um, Alanis Morissette were dating. Alanis Morissette's folks live up in in whatever area of Chicago up there, uh, Chicago land, and they came in to eat. That stopped. That shut the restaurant down for like half an hour as everybody was pressed up against the door to the dining room looking at him. Right? Yeah. I mean that makes sense though because Ryan Reynolds was uh, a huge part of waiting, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was that would have been two thousand and four. What uh, Bobby Flay shows up? Does anyone care? Probably more front of the house than back of the house. I would imagine. Yeah, that's what I mean. Kitchen wise, did anybody nah. care? If- Unless oh. there was somebody in the kitchen who was like, "Here's my ticket to get on TV." Yeah, yeah. I'm going to, yeah, this is my way of getting on Beat Bobby Flay. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, Ben's going out with a frying pan. This is my opportunity no, yeah. to beat Bobby Flay. Exactly, yeah. Meet <laughs> me in the parking lot, Bobby Flay. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Um, let's so, do... no, I would say in the back of the house, though, if it's uh, punk rock, metal, or like a real working chef, like Bourdain back in the day, if you're talking about... Um, Fucking Boku, not Boku's. Uh, um, oh, so there you go. I'm I've forgotten the guy's name already. But yeah, there's there's a short list of people where it would be like, you know what? I'm not gonna fawn, but I'm cooking my best food fucking ever for this person, right? Other Al- than Mario- Alice Waters comes in, right? You're like, I'm making the best food I've ever made in my life. <laughs> Other than Mario Batali, is there anyone you hide from? <laughs> well you would hope the management would not let somebody like mario batali and be like get your fucking crocs out of here <laughs> uh i don't know there's there is also everybody in the industry knows this there's that friend of the owner friend of the chef friend of the bartender who comes in a lot and is kind of handsy and when you see him you're like i'm not sticking around for a shift beer today because that guy is gonna get us all arrested right so like you fucking peace out um, okay, so I've got two. I have more than two, but let's do two more, and then I should sure. probably eat. Um, <laughs> so this, this uh, part and parcel to this is, uh, or I, this this question I actually had written down first before the celebrity one, but it is okay. I'm on a first date. I'm really trying to impress this person that I'm on a first date with and yeah. make the evening special. Is there anything that I can, any message I can send to the kitchen? that's going to matter is there anything i can do short of bringing a six pack to the back door or a 12 pack <laughs> or whatever that will have an impact on anything no although i would say uh, this is again this is a preparation thing so one of the things that i've seen over and over and over again in my career is people going to restaurants on first dates where they're either a regular at the restaurant or they know people who work at the restaurant but in a good way right yes so like (laughs) don't get me wrong if you take a lady out to a restaurant and the restaurant knows also your wife don't do that because they will let your wife know right like you'll get called out Uh, i have seen this come up on social media you know there's like templates for things that just come up every so often and one of them is when you go out on a first date watch how your date treats the wait staff because that's how they're going to treat you that part is 100 percent true so the worst thing you could do is be rude to a waiter or a waitress or the hostess or the bartender or the busser or whatever because what you are doing is you are displaying to your first date partner your worst self right so, I mean, obviously, if something goes wrong, don't just, like, take it. That's weird. 
but just being generally polite and nice and knowledgeable. So yeah, learn the menu ahead of time. Not because you want to order for her or for him or whatever, but just because you don't want to be surprised. You want to look a little genteel. You want to look like you know what you're talking about. But yeah, if I know you and you're bringing somebody in for a first date, we'll pretend like we don't know you and we will hook you the fuck up. Like that's just going to happen, right? So already having that relationship with the establishment is huge or can be huge, I guess. Now, there is also a rule in cooking, which is don't ever make something for the first time for company, right? My daughter wanted to have her best friend and her folks come over for dinner last night. And she asked me, she was like, how fancy do you want to get? She's 11. And I said, I don't know, it's up to you. It's your friend's dinner. And she asked, can we have fry bread tacos? Which is a thing that we do here at the house, maybe once a month. It's not fancy food. But what's nice about it is that it's all these different cups of toppings. And it's beef and it's beans and it's rice and it's cheese and guacamole and just like all these different things. And so it's great for a crowd. And I've made it a million times and we had a great time, whatever. So I would say if you're taking somebody out for a first date, don't go someplace you've never been before. Like minimize the amount of unknowns that you can. Even if it's maximizing the amount of potential embarrassment. (laughs) If, like, like, oh, I can never set foot in this restaurant again because that went real bad and, you know, whatever. When I was at Restaurant B, we had somebody who I'm certainly not going to name who brought a first date into Restaurant B. And this was a regular. This was a guy from around the neighborhood. And we we were, you know, kind of keeping an eye on him. This was a guy we saw three times a month probably, you know. And we got to know our regulars pretty darn well. And we didn't really know how the date went or whatever. And he and his date left. And then about 10 minutes later, he came back and he was like, that was a disaster. And he drank with the crew that night. (laughs) (laughs) And so you can get to that point, too, where you're like, well, I'm going to drown my sorrows with these people who are my friends because that date was a fucking (laughs) nightmare. You know, that kind of thing. The other thing, ladies, I'm sorry that in 2023, this still has to be a thing. If there's a restaurant or a bar where you know and trust the staff and you're going out for a first date, you could do worse than to put yourself into that position where you know, at the very least, you're safe with those people if the date goes badly for you in a way that makes you feel physically unsafe. Yeah. Where you can say to the bartender, yo, I need some help. I cannot go home with this guy. That kind of thing. So in a very, and I, again, I hate that our country is still in this position, but yeah, yeah, if you're feeling even the slightest bit nervous and you're a regular to place, feel comfortable going to the bartender and being like, I need, I need some help. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, absolutely. Sorry Um, to, sorry to bring the show down. No, no, it's There's a story I believe Frank Sinatra would tell. I think I'm going to get these names right. But I, uh, Don Rickles at one time came up. He was at a restaurant. Uh, Frank was at a restaurant, Frank Sinatra. And Don Rickles came up to him and said, hey, Frank, I want to impress the people that I'm with. Um, on your way out, can you stop by the table and say hi so that they know that you know me? Because they were friends. Yeah. And uh, Frank Sinatra said, yeah, sure. So Don Rickles went back to his table. And on the way out, Frank Sinatra comes over and goes, hey, Don, how you doing? And Don Rickles goes, I'm trying to eat here, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah <laughs> and Frank Sinatra left laughing um so yeah uh just have a have a celebrity that you can send over to tables to uh uh, uh impress people anyway yeah um, so you can so, blow them off yeah 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 <laughs> so okay so this one kind of ties into the others but um this is my backstory a little bit when I worked at Universal one of the things they would would tell us to try to incentivize us or the one person in particular was when I worked here 
Um, one day, the only attraction operating was Jaws, and the shark didn't work. And we still opened, and we still, you know, brought guests in, and yada yada. And I'm thinking, well, you shouldn't have opened, <laughs> because right. that's leading to a terrible experience for everyone. Obviously, that couldn't have been sustained all day. They had to have get, gotten other stuff up and running. And I'm sure that was probably in the 80s, early 90s at the latest. Um, but anyway, uh, in terms of the kitchen... What can be broken and you you still open other than refrigeration, of course, because that um, right. you you can you have to have. So what what can be broken and you still open, and what's the one thing that could keep you running if it was the only thing operational? Well, I mean, let me answer that backwards. So if you don't have running water, you cannot open legally, right? So like, let me just take that one and say right off the bat, if your water stops running, you cannot open. You should not open, and if you do open. The fines from the health department on that one are ugly. Like it is, it is very, very, very bad because you need to have potable water for everything, and that's yeah. including hand washing stations, bathrooms, dish machine. That's everything. So the water goes out. If you are a cook in a restaurant and the water goes out and they don't close, walk the fuck out. You don't want your name associated with any part of that. You do not want that. Power goes out. Same thing. Yeah. So what can go out and we'll still open? Um, I mean, if a cooler dies and you've got cooler space for other stuff, you should be fine. Um, as long as you can manage that and keep everything cold. If the dish machine goes down, you can still open. It's gonna suck because you're gonna have to hand wash everything and you're gonna lose people, right? I've, I've worked at places where the dish machine's gone down. Invariably, people just quit. They're just like, nope, I will not be doing that, right? Um, when the credit card machine goes down, which has really nothing to do with the kitchen, <laughs> I would say at this point, just fucking close. Don't even bother because <laughs> it, I, you're going to have so many problems. There's no appropriate way to tell everybody in the world that you can't process credit cards, right? Uh, if the ticket machine goes down, like if your point of sale goes down, you can still open, but you better really hope all your servers have really good handwriting because otherwise it's going to be a disaster. As far as, like, if the gas goes out, don't open because you've got no heat. Um, if the hoods go out, I don't know if that's legal or not to open, but, yeah, you should walk out if the hoods go out because you don't want to be in a room that is constantly burning oxygen with no HVAC system. That's going to be awful. Yeah, and just fumes and things too. Unless there's, unless you have the box fan and the hole in the wall. Yeah. Um, which is uh, miserable, but at yeah. least you have something. Uh, yeah, I would imagine it would get pretty uh, dense and thick in there pretty quick. When I was at Restaurant B, I believe I've told this story before. We would get the smoke so thick. We must have had seventeen foot ceilings in that place. The smoke would come all the way down to about chest level during the busiest part of the evening. And the chef owner worked lunches by that point. And I kept on telling him, I must have told him three days in a row, the hoods are not working. They're not as loud as they normally are. They are not working properly. And he goes, it's not smoky when I'm working. And I'm like, yeah, because you work lunch, you lazy fuck. Like, it's not as busy. We're grilling. We could have gotten 30 burgers on that grill at a time. Smoke everywhere. My grill guy was wearing a bandana over his face all the time. Right, like, it was very bad. By the time, and it was a couple of weeks, by the time he had somebody come and look at it, one of the blades of the extraction fan had fallen off and was just, like, clanging around inside the case. 
And it had damaged it to the point where it couldn't be repaired. It had to be replaced. And he was like, why didn't you tell me about this? And I said, I've been telling you about this every single day. So what I would say, ladies and gentlemen, is learn from my mistakes. If shit goes wrong like that, tell everybody and then walk out. <laughs> because <laughs> it's likely not going to get fixed right away. It got to the point we had smoke in the dining room. People were like leaving the restaurant, right? Uh, what else could go so badly that I wouldn't want to open? I think that's pretty much it. Fans, electricity, water, gas. Those are the big four. Yeah. Beyond that, everything else, I mean, you can you can ice a whole bunch of stuff down if you've got coolers down. Uh, if the basement floods, you should have all of your products six inches over the floor, so you should be fine there. Yeah. Mechanically, or uh, just in terms of actually cooking the food. What's the one piece of equipment that you definitely need or could use if all else fails? Is totally it the cooktop? Yeah, I mean, it totally depends on the restaurant. I would say if I've got a stove, I can do anything. But in my head, I'm also like, yeah, an oven would be nice too. <laughs> you know. But like a really big flat top. With a really big flat top, I could do literally anything. You and I have talked about this in the past. I want to open up a place called The Fine Diner, which is four flat tops back-to-back in a square. That is breakfast and lunch, a greasy spoon diner. And then at night, it's fine dining, but it's still like sort of kitschy 40s chrome and red leather kind of inside. Because I can do anything on a flat top that you could do in a French restaurant, right? I can sear a duck breast on a flat top. I can make sauces because you can put pans on the flat top and heat them up enough. Like I can I can cook polenta on there. I could do anything on a flat top. So you give me four flat tops, I can I can make anything. So as long as whoever was doing prep did their job well, really all you need is a flat top. Yeah. Sounds like a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe I was really born to run a taco place. Cause you give me a plancha. I'm good. <laughs> Absolutely good. I can do that's last night for the, that's the only, like I, I heated up the flat top on my griddle and that's how I seared off my skirt steak for our fry bread tacos last night. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, cause you know, the yeah, fryer is convenient, but not necessary. Right. Um, for doing, doing whatever. I mean, if you if you were to talk to someone at the melting pot, they would say all you need is a burner and some water, <laughs> yeah, um, in a pan, and they'll uh, cook you a potato in four minutes. They're lying, but uh, yeah. Well, and again, because like the flat top here in my house and the one that we used at restaurant B were gas fired, but you can get electric ones that get fucking ripping hot, right? Like intensely hot. So even if you lost gas, if you had an electric flat top, you could still rock and roll. Or What's, at least I could. <laughs> you've never had to deal with any situation like that, right? I know there was some stuff going on at Restaurant B once, right? Where stuff was malfunctioning? Or am I thinking incorrectly? You've never been in a dire situation, right? Where uh, No. No, I mean, I've... People, I've, but not yeah. equipment. I've worked at places where, like, things have gone out, you know? That, that, that happens. Like, nobody... Very few people have ever worked in a place where all the equipment was brand new and everything works perfectly all the time. Like, that shit right, just right. doesn't happen. But, I mean, you work around it. So that's the other thing is that in a restaurant, you're generally not using every piece of equipment all the time, right? Best case scenario in some of those uh, uh, equipment m- malfunctions, right? Like, you'll just take some of those things off the menu, right? Like, if your stove goes out, 
and you don't have a flat top or you don't have you just take those things off the menu and you're like look stove's broken we can't do those things today we can do all of these other things on the menu we just can't do that thing right right, right. and that's fine you know yeah um, okay, so I guess well, uh, two other random ones that I think I know the answers to. Sure. Would you Would you rather a no call no show or a wild excuse? So currently, I would prefer a no call no show because those are easier to fire. Wild excuses that sparks an uncomfortable conversation because at that point you have to be like, I don't believe you and I don't trust you, and I kind of wish you would just no call no show so I could have fired you. <laughs> but also, if either of those scenarios are a surprise, it means you're not paying attention. As a manager. Um, and this is one I think I definitely know the answer to. Uh, better no call, no no show or uh, walk out mid-service? No call, no show. Yeah, because yeah. then you find somebody, right? Or you're like mentally prepared for it. If somebody bails on you in the middle, which, boy, that has not happened in a very long time, to me at least. Uh, you're caught off guard and you have to shift what you're doing. If when I get to work in the morning... If somebody is not there, I can shift my day to accommodate for that. But if I'm already midstream in my day and somebody walks out, then I have to change gears. And that's a lot tougher, like psychologically. Yeah. And I mean, the the closest we've come to that would be um, hearing about stuff like that recently would be uh, Ash and whatever that quit itself mid mid service. Oh, Holman and Finch. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> Yeah, that's that's still a, a wild card. I still don't really have any good information about that, but I can't imagine. I can't imagine having a job. But again, none of that stuff happens in a vacuum either. If that was a surprise to the staff, then they were their bosses are ninjas or they were not paying attention because yeah. no restaurant closes Wednesday after a lunch service and nobody saw it coming, you know. There if you're looking, there's always signs. Yeah. Yeah, like or, or like you said, they were really drinking the Kool Aid and uh, believing whatever lies were being told yeah. to them. Oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Clean out your locker. Yeah, there's no way somebody who was planning on closing the restaurant Wednesday afternoon had the kitchen prepped for Wednesday night. There's no way they did that. And you cannot keep a kitchen quiet about some shit like that. We gossip so much. There's no way. Yeah. Yeah, when when uh, the dry cleaning um, uh, washio, I believe is what it was called, the place that Halo worked for, like on her last day of work, she's like, "Yeah, all day." I was like, "This is weird because these are all drop offs and no pickups." <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, there are signs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so knowing that neither of these would you want to experience, but if you had to choose one, if you had to either. Leave a place mid-service, quit mid-service, or be blindsided by the place closing on you, you know, um, halfway through your day. What, Which of those would you pick? So, I would rather be blindsided. Two reasons for that. The first one is, you know me, I'm the first route off the ship. So, I'm never going to be in a position, unless something happens day of that's catastrophic, I'm never going to be in a position where I am choosing in the moment to leave a job, Right. If I'm leaving your employee, I decided that like months ago and I've been acting while I'm trying to find another job and I walk out of a job into a job. That's what I do. So if I've gotten to a point where I'm walking out without completing my shift, something has gone tremendously wrong that day that was outside of my control, right? So I don't want that. And the second thing is when I go to look for another job, 
I would much rather say to a potential employer, yeah, I showed up and the restaurant was fucking closed as opposed to not nah, build on those bitches. Right. Because yeah. <laughs> one of those gets you hired. <laughs> the right. other one does not. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a hiring manager. Yeah, I go back and forth about how I feel about the idea of two weeks notice, seeing as how if I fire somebody, I'm not giving them any notice and the power structure there is a little goofy. However, it still is the industry standard, and I'm not hiring somebody if I say, what's your availability? And they're like, I'll fucking walk out today. I'm not going to hire you. I'm not going to hire that person because they're going to do the same thing to me. If you get together with somebody and it turns out they're cheating on their significant other with you, guess what they're going to do to you? Same thing, right? So when they get tired of working for you, they're just going to walk out. You're not going to get any notice. Again, I'm conflicted about how I feel about that whole procedure, but it does give you an insight into somebody's character with the current structure we have right now. Yeah. I've never in my career given anything less than two weeks notice. Have I always worked out two weeks? No, but that's been at the employer's request, not mine. Right, right. Well, and that's why you always find a, you always have a job lined up before you, yeah. Yeah. Because that's another thing. Um, well, like, what's the percentage of places that you left that where they didn't have you fill, finish your two weeks? It's been rather high, hasn't it? Uh, so or I've no. had four places. Yeah. But, I mean, by and large, places have asked me to stay on longer. Oh, longer than the two weeks? Yeah. Even knowing you were leaving? Yeah. Just takes a long time to hire people. Even yeah. more so now. Yeah. Okay, so this is the last one I have written. And it, <laughs> it could be fun, so we may as well get to it. So when I worked at Starbucks, I was told pretty early on when I was being trained, like, look, if someone wants something extra hot, take the cup, put this scalding hot water out of the hot water tea thing into the cup, swish it around, dump it, and then put their coffee in it. Because what they really want is to feel the heat with their hand when they grab the huh. cup. Um. What they don't want is to be scalded when you make that coffee extra hot, is what I was told. And I, I did that sometimes. I'd be like, all right, they asked for it extra hot. I would heat the cup up, and then yeah. they would get it, and they would be content because they felt the cup was hot and uh, go about their day without actually burning themselves. Are there any tricks that you have used or would use to to uh, um, tricks of the trade or, or little things that you would do to trick the customer into thinking one thing innocently, not like to deceive them, yeah. but, but to, to trick them into being satisfied with, with something. So the easiest answer to that is going back to the steak temp thing. Someone sends a steak back undercooked. You look at it, it's the exact right temperature. You let it sit in the window for a minute or two and you send it back out and they're fine. Right. What they want, like what you're saying, what they want is attention. They don't want a new thing. Uh, Sometimes you replate it because what do mashed potatoes cost? Right. Are there any tricks that you do? I mean, so much of food presentation is that sort of thing anyway, where it's like you eat with your eyes first is the the trite saying about it. So like when you're plating something, there's always so like, let's say you're searing a piece of fish, right? You sear the not skin side first like a salmon. Then you flip it over and crisp up the skin because the pan is never going to be as hot as it is right before you put the fish in. So you're going to get a better sear on that salmon with whatever side hits the pan first. So when you flip it over and cook the skin side, the skin side is going to be down on the plate. It's going to be prettier, right? So there's a lot of things like that, that you're not really 
uh, trained on necessarily for like, this is why we're doing this. It's just fucking do that, <laughs> you know. But there's a lot of things like that. Like there's there's a little artifice that goes into, if you put mashed potatoes into a ring mold on the plate and remove it and put the steak on and whatever, and it still holds that arc, it just looks prettier and so it's going to taste better as opposed to just like a ice cream scoop or whatever right yeah <laughs> so there's a lot of things like that that are really subtle a lot of places will do exactly what you're talking about one end of the hotline will have the plates in it so that they're warm not hot but so that when the plate arrives on the table when the customer invariably touches the plate it's warm and so automatically the food feels more inviting right that sort of thing there's a thousand tricks like that that are, I mean, all the way up to like the little sprinkle of parsley on there because the plate doesn't have any green on it and you want to give it some sort of a something and parsley doesn't really taste like that much. So you put that on there and it just makes the whole plate look a little prettier, whatever. Yeah. Garnish. Yeah. So there's a lot of things like that, that I, mean, I bet you everybody in the world doesn't notice, but if they were to not have it, you would notice that part. Yeah. It'd be like, it'd be like when you walked into the, the, the one condenser wasn't running, something's yeah. off. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. but uh, Well, it's like if you go over to somebody's house for dinner and they've cleaned their house up, you don't notice that. But if you walk in and it's filthy, you notice that part. <laughs> you know. Are, is there any uh, common thing, because uh, I know the, this list would be endless, and because I'm thinking in terms of this, um, I know at one point, maybe it was after working at Arnie's, my thought was whenever the server says, careful that plate is hot, I think, oh, you left this in the window a while. <laughs> um. But now, when uh, after after CJ's especially, I, I hear "careful, this plate is hot," and I think, "Oh, if it's busy," I was like, "Oh, it just came out of the dish room." Yeah, and it's still super hot from being run through there, um, which is another possibility for why the dish would be hot. But like, so is there another way that a server could uh, a wait staff could phrase that so that I wouldn't think that they'd left it in the window for a while? <laughs> well, I mean, that's the inside baseball you were talking about. So I imagine most people don't think, oh, this has been sitting in a window underneath a heat lamp. You know, when they're being warmed, the plate is fairly warm. When I worked at the first Italian place that I worked at in Traverse City, we had a baked manicotti that went into this bowl, a ceramic bowl, and it got cheese and stuff on it. It was put in the oven and then it was pulled out of the oven and slid into another bowl, but it still had the original bowl. That top bowl was fucking hot as hell. And so the server would take that out and go, please be careful and don't touch the bowl because that just came out of the oven that it was baked in. So yeah. a lot. I, I don't necessarily think folks are going to think, besides you and me, that, oh, my food's been dying in the window. You know, that's that's probably not a common thought. At least I hope it's not. Yeah, I, I hope not too, because it's not necessarily true. Like it, it's not as true yeah. as I once thought it to be. There are other reasons. If the restaurant is dead, and they come out and they tell you the plate is hot, and it and it uh, isn't something that has something so hot that it made the plate hot, yeah, um, then maybe you can wonder. <laughs> but I mean, by and large, it just it's just physics, right? So if you take hot food and put it on a cold plate, food's gonna cool down. You don't want that. So yeah, right, I would right. say, vast majority of restaurants in this country, at least, do warm their plates up somehow. You know, yeah. e e be it in a warmer or, you know, underneath the heat lamps or whatever. You should never get a plate that's like scalding because it's going to break your sauce. It's going to, you know, mashed potatoes are going to, butter's going to run out of them, whatever. But like, yeah, a plate being pleasantly warm is, I would say, the standard. Yeah. And I, and pleasantly warm, I think I'm, is, is, yeah, I, I think it would be disconcerting unless it's a salad to be handed something on a cold plate. Yeah. Um, cause then, yeah, you wonder, it's like, oh, is this, then, I, then without even cutting the steak, you're sending it back. <laughs> right, right. Unless you, unless that's the way you like it. We're a super cold steak, yeah. 
Yeah, I want a, <laughs> I want a frozen <laughs> steak. That's what I want. <laughs> That's rare minus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, so that was all your questions? That was it. Nice. I think this worked out well. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you have other things you want to know about the industry, things that uh, maybe you know that you want other folks to know, if we haven't covered the like, hey, customers, fucking be better, enough for you, please let us know what you would like to uh, to hear us talk about. Best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com. My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, and Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds WBR.com. So just like Jim, um, and again, thank you very much, Jim, for sending this in. This really did spark this entire idea for this episode. Uh, feel free to email us questions, comments, if you want to be if you want to be on the show. We are always looking for voices of boots on the ground how are things going on in restaurants right now i like i said now it's been 11 years that i've been out of full service restaurants although i think cj's kind of counts it was it was a slightly safer environment but it was a counter service restaurant so it's been seven years i've been out of full service restaurants it was a good move for me i do get kind of itchy every so often still where i'm like oh i wouldn't mind owning a deli right now but I, I, I don't want to lose touch with the industry at large. So if you want to be on the show and share your experience, good, bad, or indifferent, we would love to have you. Yeah, I'm also really curious. Uh, we heard uh, some of Ben's, I mean, go back to listen to the first however many episodes as well. If you want to hear more about Ben's experiences in all of those kitchens we kind of touched on. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm curious as to anyone out there, if you're working in the industry, what's the worst place you worked? Like, <laughs> was it the box fan? And like, what, what, what are the things now that looking back, especially like at the time I didn't really know, but looking back, I'm like, wow, that place was a, a pit. And remember, it took me a long time to get to this point too, but like psychologically as a cook, as a server, as a bartender, whatever, you're not defined by the worst place you ever worked because you right. don't work there now. Every single thing you've ever done has been a learning experience that's led you to where you are now. So yes, if your worst job ever was at a Red Robin, like in a strip mall somewhere, fine, fucking make fun of it. But you learned valuable lessons there, especially if one of those lessons was, <laughs> I do not want to work at this place anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. I have learned about a ton of places I don't want to work and that's fine. This is a... Growing in the industry is kind of a subtractive process because you'll do a thing and you're like, oh, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to work for that guy again. I don't want to work this station again, right? Like you will learn how to not only be better at your next job, but have the next job be better. And that's that's all to the good. Absolutely. Yeah. Unless you're not paying attention and then I can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You need to get something to eat. I need to get something to eat. I think that's all I've got for today. Yep, ditto. All right, ladies and gentlemen, for In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Campbell. And we will talk to you next week about telling the future with cheese. <laughs> we know this already. Yeah, exactly. I can already tell you. <laughs> See you then. <laughs>